Knockback is brought to you by thousands of supporters on Patreon at patreon.com slash Stand. If you want to show your support for Knockback, as well as CLS's PlayStation podcast, Sacred Symbols, the eclectic interview series, Fireside Chats, and the YouTube gaming series, SideQuest, please consider going to Patreon and pledging for a monthly amount that makes the most sense for you. Your Patreon support doesn't only ensure that CLS continues to produce the content you love, like Knockback, but you can get cool perks, too, depending on your level of support. You can get early access to each episode of Fireside Chats, Sacred Symbols, and Knockback, totally ad-free. You can vote for show topics and provide feedback to be read on air. You can listen to exclusive podcasts only available to patrons, and much more. Your support is essential if Colin's Last Stand is to continue well into the future, so please consider showing some love. Again, that's patreon.com slash Stand. Thank you for your kindness, generosity, and support. Without you, CLS wouldn't exist. But enough of that. On to the show. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Knockback. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined as always by Bowser's secret lover, Dagan Moriarty. <laughs> I've been the secret lover a couple of times. I know. Well, you're a polyamorous sort of dude. Secret lover. <laughs> I was going to start with, do the Mario. That's enough. That's enough of that. <laughs> I gotta get that far. <laughs> you know we had to get to that point. Once you start, you have to get to that point. I know. Why it's, why stop there? <laughs> Welcome back to Knockback. For everyone that has listened to the show before, you're already familiar, but Knockback is a nostalgia and retro theme podcast I do with my brother. It's supported on Patreon at patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand. If you want early access, ad-free access to our shows, if you want to just support us and allow us to continue to do this. You know, we get together and do it in person. Every couple of months, we record eight to ten episodes and then roll them out week by week. We cover video games and we cover movies and we cover all sorts of nerdy, nostalgic things. And today we're going to be within the realm of video games, which is where Dagan and I are quite comfortable. And we're going to be talking about the Super Mario Brothers trilogy on the Nintendo and the NES or the Famicom or the Famicom disc system, depending on how you want to look at it and where you want to look at it, what perspective you want to look at it from. But we're going to be really talking about four games because I feel like we should also probably talk about the Lost Levels. Ah. which is the real Super Mario Brothers 2. And so we have much to discuss. And I'm excited about this topic. This is a topic we inevitably had to get to. Oh, of course. These are classic games and games I know a lot of you out there love and enjoy. And remember, if you support us on Patreon at a certain level, you can submit your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas to us, as many of you have. We give you the topics early. We give you a little bit of time to submit those. And I've compiled them in quite a few thoughts on the Mario games, which we will get through today. But before we do that, Dagan, it's time for us to open with a new segment we've been doing for this wave called Truth or Dare, but Truth. (laughs) And what do you have for me today? I'm looking at my list of questions here for Truth or Dare, but Truth. And you know what, Kyle? I'm going to throw you, it's early. You know, it's a little earlier than we usually start recording. Both a little tired. We're over that 50% hump of recording. So let me throw you a softball on this one. A fun one. Okay, give me a fun one. And that is, Kyle, have you ever cheated at a board game? Talk I don't think so. That. I don't think so. Never cheated. At I don't a board think game. so. I mean, maybe when I was very young and I don't remember, but no, I mean, I don't, I'm not, I'm not a cheater. That wasn't really your thing. You also weren't the type of kid that actually, now that I'm thinking about it, like you weren't that type of kid that was like a sore loser when they lost a board game. You kind of le- like rolled with it. Yeah. W- you know, winning you grew and losing. up with those kids, you oh, know, definitely. they flip the board. Yeah. Oh, I mean, people that like, Monopoly. Was, yeah, people that get really mad about, you know, losing, <laughs> you know, sometimes you lose in really disastrous or disappointing ways, but I, you know, 
I think it's important to get used to losing when you're a kid because you lose in life all the time. I'm not even being, you know, I'm no, not joking around here. It's kind of starts with board games, right? Yeah. I mean, you, you win some and you lose some. That's the way it goes. So, yeah, I've never been a sore loser. I've been proud of that. I mean, sometimes you are incensed inside of you. Right. That you've lost something. And I've lost things that I shouldn't have lost, you know, close chess games or something where I'm really mad. But, oh, yeah. I didn't think about you with but, chess. You know, you make a, you know, you make a, a bad move, what they call in chess, a blunder. Yeah. And... You know, you get upset about that, but no, I've never, I've never been there. Although I think I've told the story about the guy I played in chess in twelfth grade, this older guy at a at a place that doesn't exist anymore on the island called Kitchen and Coffee, where he was like a pretty high ranked chess player. I was a pretty, you know, I'm a good chess player, but at that time, you know, twelfth grade, I was sixteen or seventeen, and he had taken my queen. And usually, when you take a queen, you know, the person forfeits because it's pretty much an unwinnable thing. But I, I kept playing, and I ended up, you know, winning. Oh wow, the game. That's glorious. And he like just w- walked out. He didn't the, say anything. Yeah, they just like walk, you know, in like a huff, like walked out of <laughs> kitchen. That's the awesome. last time I ever saw that gentleman. Yeah. He was an older dude. You yeah, said? he was like this older guy that used to play chess there sometimes. We used to because we used to kind of, you know, a few of us used to go there and buy food and just dick around and play chess. And our friends worked there and it was fun. You know, I didn't think about you with chess. Now, what about because you have a little experience, a little bit of experience playing D&D. Yeah. And I never really have played D- Dungeons and Dragons. So have you ever seen any like bad behavior about losing a D&D campaign or something? No, I don't think so. I, I'm sure that that happens because there's a lot of, you know, depending on the rules you're playing with permadeath and all of that, which can really be disruptive and, and not fun for the person playing, especially if you're trying to, you know, materialize a character and kind of play that character for a long period of time. So, you know, it's actually funny as an adult. I lived with these guys. I lived, as I've said before, I lived in a house just I was the only straight guy in this house full of gay men. And, and a couple of the gay guys that I lived with were like huge nerds. And one of them used to play EverQuest like every night and stuff. And uh, he was really into board games, you know, like Axis and Allies and Shogun yeah, and stuff like that. Top. And he was so good at them. And I, I don't think I ever won playing those games with him. But wow, you just kept playing over and over. And it was fun. We played D&D sometimes. And yeah, so, I mean, you kind of roll with the punches. I'm not, I don't mind. No I don't mind losing. You know, I, I have something in there, Kyle. I don't know if you ever knew this with board games. I wasn't a big cheater. I never really took it seriously. I always enjoyed board games. Even as a kid, I wasn't that type of kid that got upset when he lost. Even like the long protracted campaigns like Monopoly and stuff. It didn't matter. It was just about playing a game and having fun. But what I did do, and Dana and Allie could speak more to this, I cheated my ass off at Uno. Did you ever know about this? No. So I used to do it almost as a lark, though, just to see how much I could get away with. So what I did was, and I started doing, I did this with Helene, too, when we were dating, and I, I do it to my kids, and they get so annoyed. I'll put down, especially early in the game, you know, in Uno, you start with, what, seven cards in your hand or eight cards, whatever it is. And the idea, of course, in Uno is to get rid of all your cards by matching the color or the suit or whatever, the number or the letter or whatever. So what I would do is during a turn, I would very carefully take like four cards behind. Like let's say I had to match a red. I would take that red in my hand and sort of put another three or four cards behind it and put that down very gently. So it looked like I was putting one card down, but it was actually four or five cards. And I would win every time. And this would go on for hours. But what I would do is I would do it in the beginning. So like I would be winning. I would be saying Uno and within like three turns, which is impossible, right? <laughs> which is literally impossible. And like beat Dana and Allie just to see how much I and, uh, after a while, I'd be like, are you kidding me? Like, how do you not know I can't get Uno in two turns? Yeah. <laughs> and they would get so mad at me after a while. I think they, they were on to me. But I remember, especially in the beginning, seeing how far I could get away with it, seeing how much I get away. It's a really ridiculous amount. You're a cheater. Shouts out to Dana and Allie. You're you guys fell for an it. Uno cheater, but no, I, I don't. You don't strike me as a cheater either. And by no. the way, I'm still a lover of board games. I enjoy board games very much. I think they're a lot of fun. Erin likes board games too, so I'm a good company there. She has an uncanny ability. She destroys me. I don't know how this is possible because this really is a game of chance in my mind. Yeah, mostly is she has an uncanny ability at Battleship. 
Oh, that's weird. Dude, I think we played when I we first started dating. I used to go visit her in San Diego. I think we played Battleship probably 15 times in a row before I ever won. Like, I'm not even really? kidding. Yeah. I'm like, I don't know how this is possible. I got to talk to you about the new Battleship. I don't know if you know. I mean, we won't stay on this topic too long. We have a lot to talk about with Mario, but Graydon's into Battleship. And there's a new thing now. I don't know if you know. There's like there's planes as well that you could put down. Oh, no, I didn't know that. So and they're just another playing piece that you put down on your board just like a ship. You just put them on your grid somewhere. But what we do is I take the plane. I say, okay, each, each player has a plane. You put it on, your air, on top of your aircraft carrier. Now, during the game, at any point, you could fly that plane secretly off your aircraft carrier if it's not destroyed. If, you're, if it gets destroyed on your aircraft carrier, it's done. But at any point in the game, secretly, you could take the plane, fly it off your aircraft carrier, put it down somewhere, and now you have an extra playing piece Maybe, you know, because maybe, you know, in, in in Battleship, you're sort of trying to triangulate and players are sing, like singling out a pocket to see if a ship's there. So you could kind of fly it into that area later on as a secret. So if a player might not think back to go back to that area, you could put your plane over there. Yeah, see, it's interesting. I, I didn't know what the, the plane was. Hasbro, call, call me up. Give me a ring. I have I, all kinds of ideas. Kyle, do you think this kind of genius does not? No, this is. It doesn't stop. It applies to everything. No, it's unbelievable. In my life. It's unbelievable. So You're solving complex mathematical <laughs> equations. I'm confused by the plane in Battleship, though. The plane lands on the water. Is it a seaplane? Well, seems no. a little out of, out of sorts here. No, it's just they give you two planes. One looks like one looks like an A-10, like a Warthog, and one just looks like a fighter jet, like an F-16 or something. So you get it's an extra. So piece. presumably it's just in the air, but you're putting it on the. Yeah, yeah, it's just an extra piece. Really, they're applying it as as far as I know. It's just an extra piece to put down with your your sub and your carrier and your battleship and your cruiser and everything. Battleship, they need a little injection of something new. It's something new, but yeah. I'm the one, not Hasbro. I'm the one who made it something special. You made a house rule with my rule. You understand? I love a good house rule. <laughs> I mean, dude, Monopoly was full of house rules. Monopoly is one of my favorite board games, and. I play Monopoly. I think we talked that. Do we talk about this on the show? I talked about this on Sacred Symbols. I think I play Monopoly so aggressively that it takes, I think, people by surprise. Like I can beat you in Monopoly in 20 minutes if if things go if things go perfectly. Right. Because people are too passive in that game. You know, try to build just one Monopoly mortgage. Everything else you get immediately build hotels and just fucking suck that board dry. Yeah. But doesn't it also isn't it sort of beholden also to getting the more expensive properties like yellow and green on up? Yeah, you would want the best properties technically to get by landing, I think, are the oranges and the reds. I think yeah, those are the most I think devastating because yeah. people land there the most most often. They I think greens to. are actually the worst ones to get. I guess mathematically won't get around the board, whether they get, you know, advanced to go, whether they go to jail, stuff like that. That's so interesting. But yeah, you don't necessarily want the light blues or Mediterranean or something like that because you're not gonna be able to like really eat people out. But if you can start breaking people's monopolies and then just solidify one monopoly, if you can break all of the monopolies and have the only monopoly on the board, it's just a game of attrition. <laughs> You can play all day. I'll mortgage everything. I will refuse to trade with you. What about blocking people from obtaining all the properties? Is yeah, that a strategy? I, I, I'll, yeah, I buy everything I can. Okay. Like immediately. Doesn't like you just, just break as many monopolies as you can. Okay. Okay. And if you get a, what, what is called a natural monopoly without having to trade or do anything like that, then, you know, it's game over. Right, right, right. Because people play these with house rules because everyone is always like, oh, monopoly takes so long and stuff. I'm like, it's because the house rules or making it take so long. You're not supposed to have community chests. You're not supposed to do certain things like that, that like just inject money into the economy. And the money is supposed to be rare, you know? So 
There's a lot to it. I like it. And, you know, you're supposed to auction off properties and stuff like that. If you land on one and don't want to buy it, there's supposed to be an auction. You're not supposed to be able to put it back in the bank. There's a lot of uh-huh, rules that I people don't that. know. You know, I didn't so know if that. you play by the real rules, the game should take like an hour. Oh, people are prolonging Monopoly games. So they take for fucking five by days playing the, by the actual rules in the back of the box or whatever. On the, right. On the book by following adhering to those rules. That's the true way. Exactly. Huh. Community chess is or not community chess. The free parking is just a free space. And if you, you should never land on a property twice and it be on sale twice. The first time it lands on a property, if you don't want to buy it, it's got to go to the auction. Oh, I didn't know that. Wait, I never even knew that. Yeah. Oh. So like I land on Reading Railroad. It's $200. I don't want it. Then the auction begins. People, I mean, there's three other players. They can start bidding on the property. Wait a second. I never even knew about this. Yeah. That's crazy. That's we the real rule. board game topic. It's on my, it's on our list. We definitely will do that. Type That's the real topic. rule. Of course, the best Monopoly type game is solar quest and i will be excited to talk about that 80s gem but enough of that okay that game that mini game of truth or dare but truth that was fun thank you for playing brian borlaug wrote into us and remember you can write into us on patreon if you support us over there and be a part of the show he says hey guys great podcast my memories of the mario brothers trilogy are very vivid they were a big reason why i fell in love with gaming I remember why, with the first one, our parents brought the action set and gave it to us on my brother's birthday, making sure we knew it was a family gift. That day is still the only day my parents have ever played games with us, and I'll love it forever. Mario 2, I was slightly confused by, less so now knowing what it is, but I still had a ton of fun playing it and using Peach because she floats. Ridiculous power. Mario 3 is absolutely the pinnacle of, of the three because of what it did. So many worlds and power-ups. Man, what a series of games, and I play every new title to this day and still finding some, still find something to love. He's talking about the Mario games generally. Absolutely. Keep up the good work. Guys, thank, thank you for you. your thought, Brian. I thought that was a great way to open this up. We're going to talk about Mario 1, Mario 2, Mario 3, a little bit of Lost Levels as well. Dagan, what are your memories of this? Because I have a little bit of a phantom. I don't know if this is a phantom memory, but I okay. remember, I think, going into New York City to get our NES. I don't know if this is true. Do you remember any of this, like going to get... We were in Dad's Mazda. It was me, you, and Dad. Yes. I think we went into the city or maybe Queens or something like that to get the NES... It's a vivid memory of mine, but I don't know if it's a phantom memory. So talk to me a little bit about uh, so it. You, you're, you're, you're remembering it half correctly, okay. which is actually interesting. It was so far away from the house that I think it felt like probably going to the city. So we'll talk about that. So obtaining our NES, I believe, Kyle, if I'm not mistaken, we got it on my birthday. My birthday is on December 6th. We had my birthday party at the house in Brookhaven. It was, our, it was obviously our first year in the house, actually. And... Because we moved there in 87. So what it was, was I think the family was over for my birthday party that night. And what it was, I got money from grandma and grandpa. And I wanted a Nintendo, but I didn't get one for my birthday. So I said, we were just around the table. I believe Uncle Mike and Aunt Carla were there, grandma and grandpa. It was later at night. Aunt Joni might have been there, you know, all of us and dad. And we said, you know, let's go out and grab a Nintendo. So we got in the car and we went to the Toys R Us near Smith Haven Mall in whatever that is, Selden or Smithtown on Long Island, where's, which is the mall and the Toys R Us that we frequented. But it was far from the house. I mean, it took thirty, at least 35 minutes to get to Smith Haven Mall from where we lived. Do you remember least. if we went in the Mazda truck? Because that's like yes. a memory of mine. Yeah. yeah okay, so in, I kind of have to half remember. That's yeah. funny. Okay. Yeah. yeah, totally. We were in Dad's uh, pickup, little pickup, little mini Mazda pickup, and we went and picked up our NES, and we got the control deck set, I think it was called. It had just the 
just the NES console and the two controllers, and it came with just the Mario Super Mario Brothers cart. It wasn't the it wasn't the set with the zapper light gun, and it didn't have the Mario slash Duck Hunt cart. It was just the Mario cart, and we that's what we got. That's where Nintendo started for us. And you think this was eighty seven? It was either December of eighty eight or December. December of 87 or December of 88. You think it was that late? You don't think it was as early as 86? Didn't I don't we move think into, it was. Didn't eight, we move into the house in 85? No. No, the house was built in 87. And we were trying to get in there earlier. Mm. I remember actually being still, the fall of 87 still being very much like just going into the house slowly, you know, because we had already moved in with our you know, our mom's cousin Carl. We were using his summer That's right. house in That's East right. Patrick. We were kind of using his summer house because the house wasn't ready on time. And we had already sold the other house. And we already sold the other house. And there was a lot of infighting between dad and the builders and compromising. And dad didn't want to push, you know, dad was pushing back on a lot of things, little little things and big things. So that it was, we what were, were the just, builders names? Uh, Al Kudo. Al Kudo, yeah. Al Kudo. And your buddy was like one of his builders, Adelino. Adelino, who used to like put me in the cabinets. And what did he call me? He used to call me something. He's, yeah. I remember chicken he, oh, or chicken. something. He used to little chicken. Okay, chicken. Coca Cola. Because you loved Coca Cola so much. You loved Coca Cola. So he used to call you Coca Cola. Those guys were amazing. I remember those guys so vividly. But yeah, so we had just moved into the house, which I wasn't even putting two and two together with that. We couldn't have been in the house very long. It was, you know, getting ready to embark on the holidays of 87. My birthday was a few weeks before that. And I think that's what it was. Now, I don't know if it was December 6th or if it was just that weekend right before my birthday or right after. You know, it could have been mid-December. I don't know. Whenever they decided to throw my birthday party for that, for my birthday party in 87, that's when we got it. So, and that's where Mario... That's what the whole thing. And you know what's funny about it, Kyle, thinking back? I knew I wanted a Nintendo, but I don't remember having any expectations for this game. I didn't know too much about it. I knew I wanted to play video games at home. You know, I was such a fan of video games in the arcade. And of course, I came through my age. I came through the 2600 that we talk about a lot on the show, the Atari. And I was ready to have some video games at home again. And I was excited about that. But I don't know that I knew that much about this game and that it came with a Nintendo. You know, I knew Mario Brothers in the arcade the and static screen the static arcade screen game. Yeah. arcade game you know the single screen game where you're punching through the bricks and the the critters are coming you know you know the it's a great it's a great i love that game. great game Beautiful actually game. at ign we had a multi-cade and i was obsessed with that game like you getting, are like really good yeah were, were you hot. good at it yeah i was excellent at it. oh i got it really good game. i got really good at it because you can maximize like your you know every stage you can get a certain amount of points like maximum and i would like you know you can jump over the coin and then get the coin and you know like there's all sorts of things to do and that's a really people I think kind of ignore that game, but I think that's a really great game, you know, for its time. That's what I was going to ask you, Dave, is that you don't have any recollection of having seen the commercials or because there was a marketing blitz for that. No, NES I or really a little earlier, you know, the NES came out in October 85 in the North American market, I think only in test markets. Yeah. New, New York, York was City. one of them, which is why I think that I thought maybe we had to go in there to get it. But I didn't realize I don't think that we even got it a couple of years later. But you had no friends that had an NES at this time. or anything No, like that? no, I had no re- real relevance to it that I remember. I had no I, I think I was just excited that I knew about Nintendo. I must have known a little bit about it, at least. And to just be a video game fan in general you know, a general video game fan to have something at home again, just remembering how cool it was to have an Atari and that it was going to be better and that it was going to be something cool. But I don't, it's really funny that I don't, like the, you know, Super Mario Brothers itself was off my radar, completely off my radar for some reason. You know, it, it was only when I popped in the game and started playing it that I remember, be, you know, being so drawn in and so, sort of sucked in by it. Right. It's, 
a really phenomenal game. And I don't, you know, you and I were talking about this a little bit before we start started recording, Dig. Mario's history is so well worn that I don't want to get too deep into that. I don't really want it to be only about the history of the games, but I do want to predicate with some information about them so that people know. We often get a little deeper into the history, but you guys can really go find this. And I feel like as far as historical anecdotes and stuff like that and stories told, no game has been told more than this. So I don't want to like get caught into that. There's a million videos yeah, and stuff like well that. I mean, trodden. yeah, exactly. Wow. But, you know, Super Mario Brothers was launched alongside NES in 1985. It came out in Japan just a little bit earlier than that, which was one of the things that surprised me. And it was originally designed to be kind of the final cartridge style game before Famicom Disk System came out. Now, we never got an analog to Famicom Disk System here in the United States, but Famicom Disk System was one of the add-ons for NES or for Famicom in Japan that was a little bit more powerful and a little bit more interesting and kind of gave it more life because you have to remember they wanted NES to come out earlier here in the States. Famicom came out, I think, in 83 or 82, I think 83 in Japan. But the video game crash had kind of overtaken the West. The video game crash, of course, predicated on cheap games, bad games like E.T. and Atari and everyone kind of getting involved in publishing games <laughs> and a lot of games. And it's a really interesting story that you guys can go read about. And so they released, you know, Super Mario Brothers alongside of it. And the game ended up selling, you know, all told because mostly of its bundle and it's similar to Wii Sports later on and stuff, you know, more than 40 million copies of this game were sold. And what's interesting is that this isn't Mario's first appearance. This is Mario's technically third appearance in the let's call it the NES universe, cinematic universe. There we go. Perfect. And Brandon wrote into us and said, Mario 1 to 3 bring me back so bring back so many memories. A lot of people still don't know that Donkey Kong was the first Mario game with Mario Brothers No Super being the second. Mario 1 and 3, top 10 NES games. Sorry, Wart. We'll get there Aww. in a minute. But that's true. Yeah. So we knew Mario originally as Jumpman in Donkey Kong. Donkey Kong came out in 1981 in the arcades. There was a port to Donkey Kong on NES much later. And then Dagan, like Dagan had said, in 83, a game called Mario Brothers came out, which was Jumpman, now given a name called Mario. And I think this was also the introduction of Luigi. I think there was two players yeah. that was being able to play there. So this was the introduction of Luigi. And again, that's a static screen arcade game, very much in the style of what was going on in the late 70s, early 80s. There was no scrolling and stuff like that. But some of the enemies like Koopas were introduced, coins were introduced, etc. and so on. And again, a really phenomenal game, although not a game I understand that a lot of people are going to want to play today. That's probably my most played virtual console game, too, is the original Mario Brothers. Really? Not even Super Mario Brothers. On the yeah. Wii? Yeah, on the Wii. Okay. I just had a real weird obsession with that game for a long time, like trying to grind scores out of that game as, if it, as if it was you know relevant at all. So by the time they got the Super Mario Brothers, you know, and they called it Super Mario Brothers for that reason, because Mario Brothers had already existed. They're two different games. This was a revolution in video games. And I'm curious what your first impressions were when you played it. And were you surprised by it, considering that you kind of cut your teeth on the 2600 and while side scrollers had existed in previous times we've talked about pitfall in the past and stuff like that i mean this was really a different sort of game with very deliberate design and is one of the most if not really in terms of everything the most important video game ever made absolutely so, i would agree with that so i'm curious what your first impressions were of it well you know what Kyle, the first thing i want to say is that when it comes to this topic of talking about the early mario games the nes trilogy of mario games you know i was thinking about this a lot in preparing the episode I know a lot of these games could actually be broken out and discussed individually. I mean, they're that important and they're that there's there's that much depth and they're they're that good. But each is that, you know, so each is their own dedicated episode. But I really do like the idea of sort of discussing them as a family of games, 
to compare and contrast them and look at them historically and also look at them as the legendary sort of historical and legendary body of work that they kind of together make up, you know? So I like just kind of discussing them as a family. And with Super Mario Brothers that kicked it off for us with the Nintendo, what it for my generation, we already talked about the static screen arcade games and sort of what we were going through, you know, Space Invaders and Pac-Man and all of those arcade games, sort of the, you know, what I call like those endlessly cycling games where it was all about seeing, either seeing how far you could get or racking up a high score. That's what we grew up with, with video games as far as the early arcade, even through the mid 80s. That's really what the majority of arcade games were. And of course, with the Atari 2600 and even with Coleco and Intellivision and all that, that's what video games were. But this was the first game that was like, okay, there's a market beginning and there's a goal and there's a mission and there's going to be an ending to this thing. There's a, there, you have to go through all these stages and traverse these lands and traverse these worlds and you have to rescue the princess. So that, that was the first game that we could play that had like an end goal, at least the first game for me that I, me and my friends remember. But the thing is that is really important to remember for somebody of my age, I'm in, I'm in my mid-40s, is that we wished for this type of game. It wasn't like this game came along. We're like, oh my God, video games are changing. There's a beginning and an ending and there's going to be there's going to be an ending with credits and it's going to be like a movie and it's, it's not just about the high score, which we were getting really bored with that. I remember being really bored with that. It's like, all right, you know, to the point of, and we'll talk about this more, but to the point of like, you know, this was the first game, Super Mario Brothers, Brothers was really the first game that was sort of like spawned that playground discussion about video games as far as like exploring a game pixel for pixel and how how much depth it had and secrets and easter eggs and is it possible to jump over the flagpole you know i remember it getting to a degree of like actually getting into there were so many secrets and rumors and who's lying on the playground and what's true and my uncle did this and all this was the first video game that kind of spawned those discussions and i remember actually sitting down with my friends and i was older I was a little older and jumping, literally jumping into every pit on every board because who knows if that's really a pit. Right. Like that's how crazy we got with it. Right, right, right. And we were so, I think because we were so excited to explore a video game in that capacity, I remember being really little, like six, seven, eight years old, and there was a huge rumor going around and already being a very avid video game and already being very drawn in by video games. I, I was always a gamer. I loved video games. And at that time in the arcade and on the Atari... VCS and on the 2600, we there was a big rumor that you could get into the ghost box in Pac-Man, that you could actually go inside the ghost box. We didn't know what the hell would happen. Who cared? But that was like, that was for us, that was the pinnacle of Easter eggs in video games. Like, can you get in the ghost box? In that box? terrible Atari port of that game. In the, in the Atari port, in the arcade, whatever, you know? So, and also it's very, you know, it's very important to say that this was the first time we could explore a video game that was sort of that we had complete exposure to. In other words, it was expensive to play video games in the arcade. Quarter after quarter, we didn't have access to them. We could only when we were with our parents in the mall or whatever, sneak in the timeout place. They give us a dollar for video games. So even if there was a rumor that you could get in the ghost box, we had four tries to figure it out. We might not be able to play Pac-Man again for six weeks. You know what I mean? And on the Atari Twenty Six Hundred, they were so watered down that I think. We knew, at least kids my age knew, like, there's no secrets in this game. They're lucky they made it look this good. Right, right. Very limited. this was the first game we had nonstop exposure to where we could actually, every chance we got, we wanted to not only play it because it was fun, but actually explore it 
you know, and that probably speaks to somebody more of my age when this came out than somebody of your age, which was like your initial exposure to video games. So for you, this was this was your Atari 2600. You know, like when I was your age, that was what it was. Yeah. 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 I think that, you know, it's funny. We'll talk about it a little bit more with Mario 3, but I think that the era of computing and the era of ROM dumping and stuff like that has kind of ruined the mystery of what games were and what games could be. Like there's a lot of, you know, junk data on Mario 3, especially that shows stages that weren't used and enemies that weren't used and stuff like that. I've always been a little confused why developers I'm so meticulous that if I were doing like the final code for something, I would make sure that it was just the code that was needed. There's always junk in video games that people find that is not supposed to be there. That's from development. That's just not removed. They don't clean it up. And you would think that on such limited cartridges that couldn't even hold a megabyte of data or even a half a megabyte of data that they would use every little bit of data that was available to them. Especially when you hear stories about like the little crown that appears in Mario Brothers. If you get 10 lives, you know, that took like the last 20 kilobits of data on the cartridge or something like that. It's like you think they would be a little more judicious, you know, but with Minus World and with all those things, there are interesting secrets in Mario, but also overt secrets just being able to warp around. And we'll get into that in a second, because I think that that's really important to the design philosophy behind the game, the idea of accessibility in the game. But, you know, we have to talk a little bit about the development in terms of Miyamoto Because, of course, uh, Shigeru Miyamoto, famous Nintendo developer, the most famous game developer that's ever lived, probably the most famous game developer that will have ever lived, ultimately in hundreds of years of video games when we move into the future and we cryogenically all freeze ourselves. He was the designer of the game. And, of course, he was he's designed and directed and produced tons of games since then. An incredibly important component of Nintendo's success. We've talked in the past, I think, a little bit of the reason why they might be being held back a little bit now. I think it's time to put him on the shelf and let some new people come in with some new ideas. Absolutely. Take the past the mantle. Takashi Tezuka, who designed originally Excitebike, was also the designer of this game, ended up directing Zelda. And this game and I think the original Zelda and I think Mario 3 were all developed by R&D 4, if I remember correctly which was one of multiple in-house Nintendo development teams and arguably the most talented ones since they spawned both Super Mario Brothers and The Legend of Zelda. And of course, Koji Kondo did the music for the game, and he's still very much involved as well in creating that. So really, the trifecta of Miyamoto, Tezuka and Kondo, along with just a small team of about a half a dozen people, programmers, some artists, etc., you know, associate producers, they got this game done. And again, this was supposed to be kind of the farewell to the cartridge based Nintendo game. We, again, didn't really have any familiarity with the disk system, which was a big thing in in Japan. And obviously all that kind of stuff changed. But there was a condensed space on this cartridge. These were small cartridges. And, you know, there are a lot of design quirks because of it and a lot of accidents. And, you know, it's funny because I was reading about the story like we all know you rescue the princess not really unique or novel considering you were rescuing the princess in, say, 1983's uh, drag, uh, Dragon's Lair. Sure. But everyone always points to this as kind of the problematic game where, you know, the woman needs saving from the man or whatever. But what I didn't realize was I guess I never thought deeply about the lore of the game and that Koopa uses King Koopa, who we knew we knew him as King Koopa at the time. Of course, yeah. we know him as Bowser yeah, now. Right. He used like his magic in the Mushroom Kingdom and that he turned all the toads into all of the obstructions and plants and blocks and warps and all of that in the world, which is interesting. I didn't know that. So it kind of takes like a dark complexion. So when you're like <laughs> meticulously destroying every block, as I often do when you're Big Mario, you're actually just killing the souls of a these poor soul toads. Of a toad screaming out. But, you know, the story obviously didn't matter. But 
How quickly did it, this kind of spread amongst your friends? Because it's interesting that you said that it was like a playground game that you guys talked about it. But yet I'm I'm so curious if you were one of the first people that broached this game amongst your group of people, because yeah. by the time you got it, the game was out for two years. I know, which is which is really crazy to think about. Yeah, but for some reason, it just wasn't on any of my friends' radars. Now, I think we all, what ended up happening was all of my friends ended up getting it around the same time. I remember my friend Tommy having a Nintendo, but I already had it. You know what I mean? I already, I, you know, playing like, you know, Battle of Mount Olympus and all that kind of stuff. Like, I remember playing all the earlier games, but it was already 88 by the time I think everybody had it and everybody was sort of going through their thing with their with the various games, you know, no matter what they were. You know, I remember, but I remember, you know, when Mario, there wasn't that much stuff out yet. It wasn't just the black box games at this time. There were other games we talk, we talk about a lot. We talk about me getting Deadly Towers at the same time. I brought that home as well at the same time. Oh, we got Deadly Towers. Deadly Towers was that day, as far as I know. It was That's what we took home. It was, and <laughs> if it wasn't that day, it might have been for Christmas, because of that, which was only a few weeks later, so... Mario, which came with the console, and then maybe that's what it was. It was Christmas morning. I opened up. I asked for Athena and Deadly Towers, and those were my first three games. Brutal. It doesn't. It just doesn't get any worse than that. Which is probably why I was super into Mario because it's the only game I had for months that was actually a decent game. You know, compared to the other two, the other two games or few games that I had on my shelf, this was this really looked amazing. You know, but this is the first game I remember really being addicted to, really wanting to play it every chance I got. And I don't know if it was even necessarily just for the secrets. I think I think it's fair to say that it was just because it was a fun game and that there was it was something that like that we had never played before. And it was it was also it's important to say how difficult it was. It was a hard game. I remember I remember like playing it with like Allie, who was really little at that time. And even like Aunt Carl and Uncle Mike and everybody giving it a shot, nobody could like get past the first few enemies, like that first Goomba and the first few Koopas. That was it. Like they were just like, well, how do you do this? You know, and I remember really struggling with it at first. Like this is really hard and sort of, you know, dealing with, you know, being struck with actually being able to control, you know, the physics of the game, like being able to control the height of the jump, depending on how hard you tapped and sort of walking versus running and the momentum and sort of the physics of Mario's momentum. You know, where you had to like, if you were going to stop walking before falling off a ledge, you had to stop walking a little early because he's going to keep going until he settles to a stop. And sort of dealing with the mechanics, those nuanced mechanics that we weren't used to in video games yet. That was all new to us. And I remember really it being, you know, it being really difficult. And also, like, even when you got the hang of it, of course, you know, Kyle, like the first few levels and everything. But then the difficulty curve ramps up pretty quick in that game. It gets harder and harder as you go. And I'm not just talking about those striking things like the underwater world and the way the physics changed inside of a game that it's like, okay, now we, we're dealing with a whole nother thing of Mario swimming and it feels different. And that's a whole nother thing to, to learn. This game had a lot of depth. You know, in retrospect, of course, it looks primitive. But for then, for us, it felt pretty sophisticated. And that's what really was so immersive about it. And that's why really that's why we loved it so much. Yeah, I mean, people point to this game as obviously the first colorful game, the first game that exposed people to side-scrolling elements. And it's easy to take for granted here. And we're recording this in 2018. I don't think this will go live until early 2019. But it's easy to take for granted here. Like, you avoid the enemies. You jump. You move. You do all these things in tandem. That wasn't really a thing that people were doing in video games at the time. You were playing Space Invaders. The You were just moving the ship and shooting. You were just... 
you know, playing Pac-Man with a analog with a, with a joystick. There was no there was nothing else that you did in the yeah. game. So, yeah, it's easy to understand. And that's why the design philosophy of World 1-1, I think, is so fundamental and why it's so studied is because it's considered the first tutorial in a video game ever. And without, you know, cleverly marking itself as a, t- a tutorial, which, by the way, video games are obsessed with doing today. People hate game tutorials. They hate them. They hate video game tutorials and designers do everything they can in modern games to avoid them by just easing you into it. Exactly. And I always get annoyed. I get annoyed as shit by games that just throw too many things into games, especially late. Like if, I, if I'm more than two hours into a game, you better not be showing me anything else. That right. Something be, brand yeah. new. No, I hate it. I hate it. Yeah. It annoys me. That's bad game design. Yeah. Like just there's a, such a thing as too much and there's such a thing as too late in yeah. video games. Yeah, and very so well said. Very well said. World 1-1 that just design sequence, you can see it in your head if you're a video game player. The, the blocks, there's the question mark block that gives you a mushroom, so it immediately teaches you that you can power up. The enemies are coming. There's a turtle and a Goomba. You you know that you can, you know, jump on one. By the way, you couldn't jump on the turtles in Mario Brothers in the arcade game. That was something that they wanted to rectify Unless in this game. Unless you flip them over first. R- right, exactly. Nintendo like, started that clever mechanic with Mario Brothers, but they really enhanced it with Super Mario Brothers. Exactly. They wanted it to be friendly and understand. So it immediately, in the first few seconds, you're talking about and Carl and Uncle Mike playing and stuff and such. They wanted to teach you immediately everything you needed to know about the game. And they they basically did, with the exception of like this, the Starman, you know, what, what was called Starman at the time, the star power up and the fire flower. There was very little else for you to understand about the game until you got maybe to the water world and you kind of experimented there and realized fire worked underwater, etc. The physics were different, like you said, but they taught you everything you needed to know in World 1-1. And... So people really look at that still today as the most brilliant or one of the most brilliant and certainly the earliest overt tutorial in a video game. It just teaches you exactly what you need to know. Great point. Great point. You know, immediately within two seconds. And if you die, you, you run forward in, into the Goomba, you die. You understand that you can't touch him. Maybe you try to jump on him. You try to avoid him, whatever the case might be. So there's a lot of brilliance there in it as well. And the other thing from a design philosophy that I really love about Mario, that it really transcends all of the games all at least the early games, the the 2D games, including Super Mario Brothers 2, which is not really a Mario game, as we'll get into. And everyone knows that. I mean, that's the most overused factoid <laughs> in video game history now. But is that they gave you an opportunity to be able to jump around the game in a pretty easy way so you can go wherever you want quickly. And you can jump to World 8. You know, the game is 32 stages long, but you can jump to World 8 to the 29th stage in just a few minutes if you really wanted to. And it's not that difficult to do. Right. Or you can kind of play it straight up. And like Dagan was saying, playing, playing the game straight up, especially by the time you get to like World 4 and World 5, the game gets really hard. You know, when they start introducing Lockatoos and, you know, lots of pits and, you know, running over pits that are like only a block thick. Yeah. Then learning how to do that. Yes. And the game is super difficult. And it's super fun to play and introduces so many enemies and so many characteristics of Mario that exist to this day. I mean, the Hammer Brothers and all of that, you know, still very popular character to this day. Obviously, the Goombas and the Koopa Troopas, Lakitu. And, you know, there's a lot there that were introduced in this game. And obviously, Mario and Luigi not necessarily being introduced here, but being introduced as mascots. And I wrote down an interesting statistic, actually, that I found that by the time the 80s ended. So before, you know, Super Mario 3, which we're obviously going to talk a lot about, came out in 88 in Japan and didn't come out until early 1990 in North America. But by the time Mario 3 had launched, they had put Mario or wedged him into 12 NES games. And it was quickly becoming the mascot. I mean, he was in golf and he was in baseball and he's in punch out and he's in all these games. So he quickly became the dude. And so it's no surprise that today he is still very much considered that dude. The dude. Now, do you play the game naturally? Or do you like to jump around into the warps? Everyone knows about the warp in one, two, for instance. Yeah. 
but the warps that bring you further and further. Did you ever experiment with? I mean, obviously you did, but, oh, of do, you, but do you like to play all the way through? Because I kind of like to just play the game and, all the way through without using the warps. Yeah. And what I love is that there's no continues. So yeah. it's incredibly difficult, you know, to, to do it. It really and, is, you know, to get, you know, collect coins to, you know, we look at Mario games like Mario World and Mario 3 great examples when you could just rack up so many one ups. It's like not even funny. Oh, yeah, but they're so valuable. The economy of one ups are so valuable. It makes collecting coins actually quite integral while in other games you can kind of just avoid them or great skip point. Them. It's necessary. Yeah, completely necessary. Yeah. In this game, you know, what's what's really funny about it, Kyle? It's this game's a little insidious, too, because it's so welcoming. It's bright and colorful. You got the happy music playing and it makes it look like it's like it invite and invite you in. But then you know it's like so welcoming for everybody it's like oh look at this game it's so fun but you get going and you realize that it's a difficult thing but then it's so immersive that it won't let you leave it's such a it's a, it, can, it can't be overstated the game design can't be overstated of how everything is so purposeful colorful and bright with the happy music so immersive come on it's for everybody you know and then realizing like once you're in there how hard it is but then be it being so addictive those rhythms and nuances and gameplay mechanics and characters and colorfulness and the the state of progression where you see more and more the what you know as you progress and you see you know the land starts to look different things start to look really exotic you, you meet more and more exotic enemies and there's always a reason to go further and everything's just spaced out and just planned out and just sort of pieced out to actually be so immersive and i remember being so addicted to it that in the beginning I didn't want to use warps, even after beating the game initially, whatever those after those that first month or two, and being able to beat the game, I always wanted to play it straight through. Later on, when I would turn it on, you know, later on after we had our life forces and our contras and our Mario twos and threes and Zelda games and Metroids and Kid Icaruses and all the other and Castlevanias and all the you know Capcom Disney games and our DuckTales and everything even after that I would still play Mario Brothers because it was still that good of a game and that different of a game especially how Nintendo changed Mario like we'll talk about in Mario 2 and 3 but I always liked to play it but then I started to like to take the warps because I just enjoyed playing it and I enjoyed the mechanics and how different it was compared to the rest of Nintendo's body of work as time went on that gave the game a sort of a different gloss you know, because it still felt cool, but it was still so different than anything else. Plus, all the games that tried to copy Mario on the NES and on the Master System and stuff like that. And also, you know, this was an early side-scrolling platform game. Side-scrolling platform games existed, but they were still very new. The idea of, you know, these side-scrolling platform games and, you know, the idea of being able to, well, don't get hit from the enemies from underneath or the sides but you can jump on the enemies oh when certain enemies you can't jump on you know those those mechanics were still so new it's not that mario was the only person doing them maybe but it was or nintendo was the first people doing that but it was still so new for us that's what made it so exciting and the replay value in this game all the mario games that we're going to discuss have immense replay value for different different reasons but this was the first one that had that replay value even after you beat it you wanted to go in and play it. And again, not just for the secrets, but because of just how fun the game was. And what a wonderful job they did on making this game so fun and so addictive. You know, I would I remember being so addicted to this game. You know, it was it was even with the Atari, it was like fun. But and now let me preface this by saying I'm sure if I had a Miss Pac-Man machine arcade machine in my house or a Donkey Kong machine or a Frogger machine or one of those Star Wars vector stand-up arcade machines, I would have been addicted to those games. 
But this was the first game I had constant access to that was that addictive. You know, Atari games are almost annoying after a while. It's like, all right, even the games I really loved, like Berserk or Yars Revenge or, you know, The Frog Report was pretty decent. Whatever games I really enjoyed, even after a while, it's like, all right, you know. It's just monotonous after a while. I don't know if it was the droning sound or whatever it right, was. Right. It was just like enough. Even as a seven-year-old, it's like, all right. you know, yeah, Enough already. I didn't want to play it all day. Right, right. Yeah, the NES, you know, the side-scrolling nature. The reason side-scrollers were so limited, even on the old hardware, and why NES could do so many more exciting things is because there was just caching problems and, and RAM problems with even being able to remember what would be next. Like, you're pre-loading a pre-rendered, basically, very rudimentary background. So to be able to scroll towards something and they did really clever things in the game to make everything fit again in these very primitive NES cartridges. NES cartridges got much bigger later on and NES SNES cartridges got even bigger, obviously. But we were even talking about how I think Link to the Past was only like a few megabytes and that's a Super Nintendo game. So you're talking about a game that is very small and that's why like, well, if the bushes in the clouds look like the same thing, it's because they are. <laughs> they're the exact same. You know, sport. they're just different colors. Exactly. So there's a lot of tricks that really work nicely the first palette swap the first example of really palette swapping and stuff like that which is a common thing still in role-playing games and whatnot today especially but for me i wanted to kind of jump into this question or this comment from sean mason just a portion of it because he says oh boy where to begin one of my first memories is watching my older sister and father embark on the journey that was super mario brothers on the nes i'll never forget the feeling of excitement i had each time they reached a castle only to be even more excited when the mushroom dude said that the princess is in another castle as a child i thought that the game was never ending he says some other stuff, but I wanted to focus on this. What was it like through the lens of the contemporary lens of having something like that today? That's like annoying, right? Like, oh, the, the, it's actually a joke, like, but the princess is in another castle. And it, we're, that's who we know now is Toad telling us that. But there was something to it. And there was like these little gimmicks and little things like the fireworks. Yeah. That would happen at the end. Oh, when you good got, point. Yeah, good point. All sorts of little things. So how did that strike you? Even though it, it even though it was monotonous and it was the same thing over and over again. And this is before the Koopa kids and all of that. And obviously we got proper bosses in Mario 2 as well or Super Mario USA. How did that strike you getting to the end of these sequences of four? You get to the castle. Every castle is a little maybe more, more ornate or whatever, but you're still not there. Same thing over and over again, but still quite advanced compared to what you were used to. Oh, yeah. I remember being funny. I remember really being tickled by that. I remember as a kid being like, oh, that's pretty funny. And I remember because I think really what it was, Kyle, I don't think it was really about we knew there was, you know, this game was going to resolve itself at some point. And we were excited about that. Again, those talking about those endlessly cycling, high score racking games like a Pac-Man where it was like in the in the past, we clung to those rumors of like, literally, I remember this, like a kid saying on the playground, like my uncle got to the 200th level of Pac-Man. Like where Pac-Man has a gun and he's shooting the ghosts like that. We clung to those rumors, even if we knew it wasn't true or 90 percent knew it wasn't true. It was like, wow, that this could be a thing. You know, we hoped for this. So the fact that we knew this game was going to resolve itself and have an ending and it was an adventure that was this thing where it wasn't just about score, which was high score, which was boring for us. I think it wasn't about it wasn't even about the fact of like, when is it going to end? It was the fact of how long can this possibly go on? This is awesome because it was about how fun it was to play it. And we knew every level after you get to a certain point in the game, level three, level four, whatever, world, world three, world four, you know, it's going to change every time. So you're looking forward to that next world. And what's that going to look like? And what's that going to be like? What enemies like am I going to face? What is the stage layout going to be? You know, I remember getting to that first level. I forget what level it was or what world it was where now the platform caps were polka dotted. 
and be like, what? Oh, my God. Like, that was mind-blowing for us. It wasn't just grass. They were actually poke, red and right, right. orange polka dotted. So we knew it was always going to look different. We and knew the night was, sky and the day and The, the night sky, yeah. that's very striking. That was the first time I think we've ever seen that in a video game where it was changing from day to night. It was like, that was like mind-blowing for us because it's, it's immersive. It makes the game more immersive. It's like, wow, you're dealing with time. You're dealing with Mario, you know, traversing over these lands. It felt like he was on a journey. It felt like he was on an adventure, you know, and that's what it was really about. It wasn't about we I don't remember ever being annoyed by that. You know, I remember being like, okay, well, how long is this going to go on? It was exciting. The longer it lasted, the better almost. The fusion of scoring or counting high scores. It's funny when you look at these early primitive, more primitive NES games about how they still have score. Even the original Mega Man has a score. Yeah. And some games like Ninja Gaiden and Castlevania included a score that really gave you extra lives. That was kind of its function. But it's funny that they didn't really know what to do with the score. And eventually that that just kind of went away. Eventually. Yeah. Like they kind of just realized that, you know, it's funny to see. It's like the missing link. Right between like the old games and the new games. I always found it so funny that the original Mega Man has a score. Isn't and that like when you go to a stage, you just give you a random it would just give you a random <laughs> score. Like sometimes you get 100,000 points for beating the stage. And it's like, who gives a shit? You know, but I always felt that way because I didn't grow up in those times, which is why my obsession as an adult with Mario Brothers, the arcade Mario Brothers was so funny because that game and Kung Fu on NES, which I was obsessed with trying to flip the score in that game. Me too. For people that don't know, flipping scores means that there's just an integer in which that's the highest integer you can get on a score and then it just goes back to zero and that's like considered a great accomplishment to do in a lot of games and kung fu you can do it in which is an irem game and i have a lot of love for that game by the way i, I, I think that, that game's game. awesome so good that, that game's actually before mario brothers ever came out yeah that was one of the black box games yes now what do you think about the power-ups this was kind of a new thing as well to a degree i mean there were some shooters and you know arcade shooters i don't mean first person or third person shooters that's we're always off from that yet but there were some arcade shooters that gave you power-ups and new weapons and stuff but again going back to world one one to the the mantra of this kind of stealth tutorial the idea of giving you a mushroom it basically gives you a way out of getting hit once and it also allows you to destroy blocks and all of this and access secrets access secret you know, beanstalks that bring you to cloud worlds that have go. coins in them. But I've always been a huge fan, even when there were more options in later games in Mario 3 and Super Mario World, etc. I always loved the Fire Flower and it was always my favorite thing to have and always my preference to have it. So I'm curious what you thought about that. Like, I loved getting to Bowser or King Koopa at the end of every castle and just beating him with the, fu- with the fire flower. Oh, peppering him with fireballs. It, like, was so satisfying as opposed to jumping over him, hitting the axe. Yeah, and then plus he falls that into was hard. Fire. Yeah, right, exactly. If you weren't big, you were probably going to get killed. Exactly. Like, he would jump every so often, and so you maybe time running under him, but if you jumped, then he would jump into you. And just, By the way, just as a, this is kind of a non sequitur, but I loved how Bowser, when you were there, when you got close to him, but he wasn't on the screen yet, he would start shooting fire at you, like as if he could see you, you know? And there's just a lot of really nice touches there. But anyway, what do you think of the the Super Mushroom and the Fire Flower and just having these kind of options in which to play? There's really, the way you look at it in the original Mario Brothers, it gets much more dynamic later on, but there's basically three ways to play the game, little, big, and with fire. Absolutely, yeah, perfectly said. It adds so much, those power-ups add so much dimension to the game. Because like you said, you could be little, you could be big, or you could have fireballs. And it also added a little dimension to the game as far as how many, you know, how many hits you could take. Because that being big slash having a fire flower, you know, that added another hit, another sliver to your life bar. So that added another dimension to the game where it was like you felt a little safer being big than going in little because you knew that was going to be a one. You know, it goes it basically goes from a one hit death game to a game where you have a little bit of a life bar, for lack of a better word. So those power ups add so much dimension to the game. And 
but the, you know what's striking about it also, Kyle? It's just the exploration for those elements was fun. Pounding every, so you had the question mark blocks, but then finding those secret bricks that contain the power up and find, like you said, finding those secret bricks that contain the vine that led somewhere for a little warp, a little bonus area for coins or whatever. So I love the dimension that just those few very simple power ups add. And something really a pronounced thing about the fireballs was it was still difficult with the fireballs because as you remember, Kyle, the trajectory that they took, they could actually bounce over enemies. So there was a physics to the fireball where they bounced along where you could, you know, first of all, he didn't fire it straight out. He fired it straight down and it sort of bounced along. So the fact of like, you know, making sure it hits, it could go right over a Goomba. It could go right over a Koopa Troopa. So you had to sort of use your strategy to make sure you were distanced. You had distanced yourself enough from the enemy to use the fireball or using it from above. Because it's shot straight down on a diagonal, so you could hit some, you could pepper some enemies from above, from a, you know, from a safe little precipice or whatever. So I loved, and the fire. It's so funny that you love the fire flower because the fire flower was really a favorite of mine too. Even in, you know we didn't get there yet, but even in Mario Three, I, I loved having the fire flower. I love being equipped with fireballs, and I love that you brought up the Koopa fight because the King Koopa fight with the fireballs was so much more fun. It really was satisfying to pepper him with fire, but and it was such an accomplishment to get to him with fireballs because that means you got through the dungeon level without getting hit and that was a whole nother thing and i also want to mention kyle just to go back the high score thing i wonder why i'm glad you brought that point up because i forgot to write that in my notes i wonder why they kept it in so many games and they why it was such a slow thing to get rid of it was such a built-in component that almost had to be there i wonder if they thought they felt like in a Mega Man one or in a super mario brothers they felt like, well, now you have both things. You could play to achieve, you know, beat the game, but you could also play for a high score. And now you have both. But once this started, we would never even pay attention to that. We would laugh at it. Like you said, we would like, why is that there? It's right. Stupid. It's like the wisdom tooth of the appendix of the video game where it's like it hasn't been removed yet. Right. But it has lost its usefulness. <laughs> right. Exactly. We don't Perfect. know this. This is a li- this was useful at some time. <laughs> Not it's not anymore. useful anymore, but it's still a vestige of a previous it's age. It's okay to get rid of it. No, exactly. No one really and got mad. The one thing that I have to point out about Mario Brothers that also made it hard, especially when you had the Fire Flower, and this is something I loved and that I wish they kind of kept, but they didn't. They got rid of it in Mario 3 and then in Super Mario World is when you got hit, whether you were big or whether you had a Fire Flower, you went back to being small again. So you yes. really only ever had two hit points. You yeah. really only had one hit point because the second time you got hit, you were going to die. Yep. And so if you lost your Fire Flower... It meant that you needed two more power ups to get it back. It didn't mean that you were still big like you were in Mario 3 or in Super Mario World where, well, you only had to find another block. If you got hit with the Fire Flower, you had to find a mushroom and then you had to find a Fire Flower. And you like so, that. You like that. Yeah, I think it makes it harder. It does I think, make it harder. I think Mario 3 and Super Mario World, I love Super Mario World especially. I think Super Mario World's one of the great games of all time for sure. And it's incredibly easy. I never went into those games being like, this is very hard. Yeah. You know, it isn't like th- that added an extra dynamic of difficulty. One hit point. You know, and, you know, and that was it. It didn't matter. I like that. It and, reminds me too, Kyle. Do you yeah. remember this rumor? You were too young. I remember because you remember if there was a fire flower on screen and somehow inadvertently you had gotten small, the fire flower would just make you big. Right. I remember there being a rumor of if you do this thing, the fire flower will give you fireballs while you're still small. Like that. I remember that. It's so striking about the period of time because even that the idea of that was so was such a, a wonderful thing to us that the idea that could, that could actually be true. Such a small thing. It's like, you can have fireballs and be little? What? Or, you know, maybe the rumor was, and it gives you, like, Luigi colors, so you're wearing white overalls. It's like, it was like, that was such a, 
amazing thought for us. And back it's then. It, it's funny. It didn't you bring, take much. It's no, it didn't. And it's <laughs> funny that you brought that up too because that's something that they added in the later games too. If you got hit in Super Mario World where there was a feather on the screen and you went back to small and got the feather, you would get the cape. Like that was the way it went, or the raccoon tail in Mario Three. So it's another thing that they did to make it a little easier. And I understand that, especially in hindsight with. We didn't know, we didn't understand what Lost Levels was until later, and we're going to talk about Lost Levels, I think, last, but they wanted to make it, I think, a little more accommodating, because like you said, the game is gruelingly hard, and they wanted it to be accessible, but Adam Nix wrote into us about the topic of Luigi, which we'd have to talk about before we move on to Mario 2. He said, have either of you ever seen the meme that basically said, if you saw Luigi more than Mario as a kid, you were the younger brother? I was the older brother. I never let my younger brother play as Mario and also wouldn't let him play one player games with me. (laughs) As a result of this, Super Mario Brothers 2 was not allowed in our house on the count of it being one player. We did get away with renting it once or twice, but that just reaffirmed in my parents' eyes that it was a no-go. Thank God for the GBA port. Otherwise, I'm not sure I'd have ever finished the game. The Mario 2 GBA port was called Super Mario Advance. It was a GBA launch game from the summer of 2001, and that was my first purchase as well on Game Boy Advance. Great game. Oh, your first one? Yeah, wow. I bought that Castlevania Circle of the Moon and I think Super Dodgeball. OK, nice. that, was, that was the first launch where I really had some cash. Like, I worked choice. the deli and I just went in and bought it. Nice. Also bought 311s from Chaos that day. Wow. Now, what were your memories of Luigi? Because we used to play together and we other people would play. And I kind of liked playing as Luigi in Mario one. There was no difference. There were differences later on. Yes. Luigi is, you know, depending on the game, you're talking about faster. He jumps higher, etc. Whatever the case might be. He's a little looser in the original Mario. There was no control difference as far as I remember for Mario and Luigi, but I kind of enjoy playing as Luigi and I would sometimes start a two player game and just play by myself and just go back and forth between the characters to give myself more lives, basically. Yeah. So what are your recollections of Luigi? You and Allie. You were Luigi and Allie was Luigi. Those are the two people I played with the most. Actually, when you know, this is actually a striking thing about this period of time, which I'm reminded of. We moved. This was around the same time we moved away from all my best friends. We moved about. What was it? What was Brookhaven from Medford? Six or seven miles away? Yeah, something, something like, like that. that. Yeah. So my best friend still lived in my old neighborhood. So I didn't have a lot of new friends yet when I started playing this game. So I played this game primarily with Colin and our sister Allie. Those were my those were my player twos. But so they were always Luigi in the games that we played. It was either Colin or Allie. But I remember too thinking Luigi was cooler. First of all, I liked his colors better. He popped better in the game for some reason. Mario's outfit and stuff like that could almost be construed as the same color as the bricks. It was browns and oranges and stuff. I like the way Luigi popped in the game. His colors popped in the game. And I liked the, you know, again, going back to all those playground rumors of being my age, it was like, oh, you could put this secret code in and Luigi does this or he, whatever it was at the time, he jumps higher or he could, you know, whatever, he could run through the air, whatever ridiculous thing, he runs faster, whatever the rumor was. That was another thing of like these playground lies slash rumors of like, is Luigi actually different? And almost being, there was almost that sense of frustration too, which later came on with Street Fighter and things like that. It was like the palette swap, you know, anomaly, the the whole palette swap phenomenon where it's like, I wish they could just make it do. And of course, they didn't really have the bandwidth to do this yet. And we didn't know that. But it was like, why can't they just make it? It looks the same. Why can't they just make it look a little different and play a little different, you know? But of course, that was just to introduce. That was just because it was a two-player game, and you had to stagger it back between player one and player two. Right. Of course. Those are my memories of it, though. Of you course. Know, being old enough to be frustrated with that. Of course. Now, I guess now it makes sense to move on to Mario Two. Absolutely. Now, best Mario game of all time. Well, I think you'll agree then that Clark Petrie wrote in us and said, "Unpopular opinion. While I fully recognize the brilliance of Super Mario Brothers Three, I like Super Mario Brothers Two more as I age. It's just so damn unique. So." You know, you have some friends out there I'm that, with that you, agree Clark. with you. I'm with you. My now, friend. I'm a Mario 2 fan. I think Mario 3 is definitely superior, but I think Mario 2 is a great game. 
Now we have to do the old trite talking about, you know, what the differences are between the games. So Yume Kojo Doki Doki Panic was a game in Japan that came out in 1987 on Super Fan or on I'm sorry regular Famicom, and it was basically this weird collaboration between Nintendo and Fuji Television. Fuji Television being kind of a television network and a television production company in Japan. And was kind of designed to showcase some of their characters and some of their upcoming programming and whatever the case might be. And it was some sort of weird crossover thing that's kind of lost on us. I was reading that Doki Doki is an onomatopoeia in Japanese. Yes, I think that's right. For a beating heart. Beating heart. And so we don't have any, you know, knowledge of this. And I have not delved into the Nintendo powers and stuff of the past to read into this, but I didn't know this until the late 90s. This was something that was totally lost on me. We got Lost Levels in 1993, which was the real Super Mario Brothers 2, and we knew there was something up there, and there was probably some explanation in the instruction manual, I don't really remember, but we didn't really know. And now, I made a joke earlier that the Doki Doki Panic kind of factoid is like the most overplayed thing in gaming, which it is, but Super Mario Brothers 2 was known as Super Mario USA in the uh, in Japan, rather. And so Lost Levels or the real Super Mario Brothers 2 came out in 1986 over there. We didn't get it until 1993. Doki Doki Panic came out in 87. We got it here, I think, in the West in 88. And so what are your recollections of Super Mario Brothers 2? I mean, I know this is one of your favorite games and it is. It's a really, really fantastic game and a very different game. And I think that it should be embraced. And I think, by the way, it is being embraced more as time passes as being a truly good game from an era too. as we've discussed in the past where sequels were often different and that was expected. I don't remember as a young kid being blown away that this game was different because so was Zelda 2 and so was Castlevania 2 and so were these other games. They were different. Sure. So it didn't really surprise me. Then we find out that actually the real sequel wasn't different at all. It was just way harder. So what are your recollections of Super Mario Brothers 2? So Kyle, for me, and I will agree with you, Super Mario Brothers 3, and of course we're going to get there and talk about one of the most important video games of all time. I'll give you guys that. Super Mario 3 is a better game. I'm not going to argue that. Super Mario 3 is a brilliant game. One of the best games ever created. Super Mario 2 is just my favorite Mario game. And thinking back on it, it's the very first video game I think from my memory that I knew was coming. So before I played it. So in other words, every other video game in my life up to this point coming out in 1988, I was already an older kid. Every other video game up to this point, whether it was on a home console or in the arcade, I, it was just thrust upon me. I walked into it. I was, I went to the seven 11 and was like, what the hell is this space ace? What? Oh my God, they did another dragon's lair. And this one's a side, a sci-fi version of it. Or, going in and discovering Phoenix for the first time or Space Invaders or even like like we talked about with Super Mario Brothers. Every game was just sort of thrust upon me and thrust into my life and I loved it, but I never knew about it. There was never any expectation or anticipation. This was the first game that I was like, oh my God, they're making another Super Mario Brothers game and I can't wait for it. Now, I'm specifically talking about it, this game, Super Mario 2, being on the cover of the first issue of Nintendo Power which my friend Joey had a subscription to Nintendo Power, and I remember looking at this game. Now, Kyle, you might, might know this. I don't. Did Super Mario Brothers, this this came out, this issue of Nintendo Power came out before the game, correct? I think so. Okay. Well, I think like a month or so before. Yeah, Not it too was the, long before. No, it was like the, yeah, for people that don't know, the first issue of Nintendo Power was Super Mario Brothers 2 during the kind of clay claymation. That, that, it's very weird, uncanny cover you guys can go look it up yes yeah, but it's very iconic. colorful fun yeah. yeah iconic and now in all fairness this game might have already been out and i saw that i saw the issue of nintendo power maybe of two or three months 
after Mario 2 was already out, I don't know. But I did see the magazine first and didn't, hadn't played the game. So there was that expectation and that excitement that I do remember. It. That was a really big thing. And what's really important for me, from my perspective, too, is... This was the first game that I also remember of there being a sequel. Now, we could talk about games that had already developed a franchise. It's very important to remember back. This wasn't the first one. For instance, let's take Pac-Man, okay? You had Pac-Man, Miss Pac-Man, Super Pac-Man, Pac-Man Jr. I was old enough to remember all those games in the arcade. Even if you think back to Donkey Kong and Donkey Kong Jr., people were already doing this. People were already making spin-off games or sequel games. This wasn't the first one. But this was the first one that I was really excited for and the first one that I knew was coming. So there was a lot of anticipation, and that might play into my love for it too, in all fairness. Sort of my own trajectory with the game might play into, you know, why I love it. And if I'm not mistaken, Kyle, I wanted to ask you about this. I think playing it for the first time, I didn't buy it. I think we borrowed it from your friends, the Kotchers, who come up in the podcast a lot, Tim and, and Michael and Chris. They, we borrowed it from them, right? That's how we played it for the first time. Yeah, we borrowed that and three. We bought both borrowed and from three because we did own two eventually, but we never owned. Th- I bought three on eBay when I was in like middle school. Never owned it. Yeah, yeah. I never owned it until I never later. Did. And so, I bought it for like nothing. These games were. It's so funny to think that these games are going for nothing. You know, isn't back that then. Funny. What uh, did you buy for? Do you remember? Probably like five bucks. Wow. Like that, you know. You know that's amazing. And just, you know, I think, I think too, a lot of this was the excitement. This was still early in the advent of home video games and Nintendo and NES. At least it was early for us. And I remember there being sort of that excitement behind, okay, every time they're going to do an iteration of a game, it's going to be different. It's going to be, they're going to do this complete visual and gameplay overhaul. And I remember the idea of that. I remember not being put off by that. I remember the opposite of being put off by that. I remember being excited about the idea of like every time they're going to reintroduce something, it's going to feel so markedly different. And I remember really being psyched about that. And I remember really embracing this game from an early age, you know, from from early on of just how colorful it was, how much fun it was. And of course, we'll discuss all the differences between this and one and two. You know, I'll let you get a, I'll take a breath and let you get a word in, but you know, all those things that were so exciting about this game, being able to choose from one of four playable characters, again, with different strengths and different weaknesses and how that was exciting and coming out of my frustration with always wanting that, especially thinking back, like we just discussed a couple of minutes ago with Super Mario one and how like, why can't Luigi just feel and look a little different? Why can't they give him something different to feel different than Mario? Why does that have to be a, a palette swap? So now actually getting that, you know, it's like they're giving, they were giving me exactly what I asked for. And the idea of being able to pick up items and enemies and being able to use them on themselves as weapons, being able to pick up items and throw them. I loved it. I thought that was like the most fun and charming play mechanic, including not only being able to jump on an enemy and pick them up, but being able to pick up being able to pick veggies out of the ground and pull plants out of the ground and use them as weapons. I thought it was so charming and it was just so fun. There was something really, there was something so bright and colorful about this game and being able to, you know, I, I gravitated to Toad right away. You know, as we know, Mario's the balanced character. Princess Peach could jump the longest because she could hover, which was so cool. Luigi could jump the highest and Toad was the character that was quick. But also, he pulled things out of the ground. He couldn't jump high. That was his weakness. But he could pull things out of the ground quicker. 
So in the bonus rounds, which we'll get to, you know, he could pull the coins up the quickest. So and I always love playing with Toad. Yeah, so, I, I don't. I think I gravitated towards who Toad is your because. Guy? Well, I think I gravitated to I, Toad's my guy, like definitely. But I think it's because of you that I gravitated towards him. Mario is decent to use too, but I I universally use Toad. I I, I can't stand using Peach and Luigi is uncontrollable. Yeah, to it's me. hard to use Luigi. Like I don't even really understand the advantage of using Luigi. He's just kind of there. It, that's the first time we got like a tall glass of water, Luigi. I mean, I really feel like we look through at Luigi at least our generations look at Luigi through the lens of Mario too. Is Absolutely. that's that's who he is. He's that's- taller. He's zanier he's whatever the case might be i also note that this is the first time we saw peach the way we kind of know her if you think about the sprite of the princess in the original mario (laughs) it looked like mario was going to save a princess that might have been missing a chromosome yeah it was pretty bad yeah it was like it was not not pretty i don't know if he was maybe he had a little bit of disappointment you know maybe the theory is is that when he rescued the princess she was so horrifying in mario that he went (laughs) he went on a mushroom addled trip (laughs) And that's what ended up to, to try to erase it from his memory. And that's what ended up happening in Super Mario Brothers 2. At least Which that's is the story funny, I right? Because it's actually a step back from Pauline and Donkey Kong. Right. It wasn't no. supposed to be moving in that direction. Right. Like he he this was like his rebound girl. And he was not <laughs> he was just going for whatever was there. You know what I mean? <laughs> Holy moly. So that was really the, that's important because that's the first time we saw the princess as I don't know that she was called Peach yet. At that time. Maybe. I don't really remember. I don't remember. I want to look. at. But that. that's the first time we saw her. In that regard, that's the first time we really saw Toad as a character. Toad was kind of fleshed out even more in Mario 3. Yeah. But it was cool that he was playable. And I, I like Toad a lot. Like, I, I like that character, you know, his, the Toad noise that he makes and uh, in other games and whatnot. So it was a it's a great game. And I don't understand, like, the purest angle that it's just it doesn't matter. and It doesn't count, you know, because of whatever the case might be, because it's not the real Mario game. It was, of course, released later, as I said, in Japan as Super Mario USA. Jeshua Anderson wrote in and said, this trilogy to me is the all time greatest video game trilogy ever. Everyone has memories from be from playing these games. All that said, Super Mario Brothers 2 is my favorite. I know it's treated as the redheaded stepchild, but I love how it plays. It's not all about jumping over pits of doom that quickly become tiring to me. I loved figuring out which characters were best for what levels. Luigi for the sand level, Princess for the ice, etc. It was just a great game. One last thing. And he asked if we played the Japanese version of the game. Well, we did when we got to the Super Mario All-Stars on Super Nintendo. That's the first time we, we had any access to it. Exactly. But... I do love the whimsical nature of Mario 2, the coins, like you were saying, the weird kind of Vegas game that you play in between the slot game that you play in between each so, stage. So great. And the one thing that I take away from it, too, that I really love are the bo- the bad the bosses. The bad guys are cool, too, like Birdo and all the bad guys you see. But the bosses are awesome. They're so good. And it's the first time we really got different boss characters in a Mario game. What was this colorful world that we got? It was a different boss every time. And some of the bosses repeat mobs. You face Mouser twice, I think. But. It's just a palette swap. I think Triclad you face twice, but you have a collection of bosses that you face. And boss characters was still a new thing. And that was still, that was such an exciting thing that wanted to propel you, that really made you want to propel through a game and get to those milestones was to face those, find out what boss it was going to be. And that was part of the colorfulness for me. And the vibrancy of a game was facing those boss characters and where were they, where they were going to be and who you were going to face next time. And that was, you know, yeah, that's part of the, really what makes this game so colorful for me. I yeah. love the bosses too. They're so fun. Yeah, Mauser's Mauser's like an amazing boss. I would get a Mau- I would get a Mauser tattoo. Definitely a Wart tattoo. You talked about getting a Wart tattoo. Yeah, Wart is awesome. I love Wart. And we can talk about him as well. Like he's gotten such a he's got such short shrift as so weird. Uh, it, it is weird because he's so cool. Like the whole fight is weird. And I know it's like a fever dream basically the whole game, but yeah. spoiler alert. 
Yeah, I mean, you had, you had time, <laughs> 30 years to play the game. But yeah, I've always kind of gotten annoyed. Like, why isn't he in Smash Brothers? I, I, how many fucking Fire Emblem characters are going to be in this game? Yeah. How many random ass Game & Watch? You have Game & Watch in there, but not Wart. It's strange. It is really weird. Cloud, but not Wart. It's very, it's, it's really, I know we talked about this before, Kyle, but it's especially odd because a lot of the characters from this game have become Mario staples. You're talking about the Shy Guys, the Birdos, right? All the way through every iteration of every Mario game, all the way to the modern Mario Kart games, these characters exist. So it's not like I went through a brief period of time thinking about Ward. I've spent a way too much time thinking about Ward, by the way. <laughs> way too much time, but I call him King Wart. Well, that's not his name, but I call him King Wart because he is the king. Is it why I went through a brief period of thinking like, okay, maybe he, he's owned by Fuji TV or whatever, but he can't be. What is he, the only character owned by Fuji and Nintendo took everything else? They, they never did anything else with these characters. You're talking about the playable characters, Imogen, who is Mario in this game, Mama, who is Luigi, Mama in the original game, Lena, who is Princess Toadstool, and Papa, who is Toad. Those characters were never in another game. It's not like Doki Doki Panic was a whole nother a franchise. This was a Mario game. Mario, you know, and also, before I forget to mention, it said that Shigeru Miyamoto's favorite Mario game is this game. Oh, interesting. I Isn't didn't know that, that odd? Yeah. So I don't know if that's true or not, but that's an anecdote that I have heard. Interesting. It's on my, It's mine. It, it, so it, it is straight up your, even though you recognize or, and I don't like having these conversations of subjectivity versus objectivity. Oh, no, that's okay. Well, that, that's how, that's Well, because life. it's weird. It's like, well, because what does that really mean? Like, I, I've had conversations like that before, too. And I don't, I think it's kind of meaningless and puts people in a corner where it's like, okay, like, I like Mario 2 more, but I recognize Mario 3 is the best game, the better game. And it's like, what does that really mean? Obviously, it's not, you know, like, right. that's, well, if you just think about it from, if I think about it from a standpoint of what Mario 3 accomplished, especially on that as far as if you look at just generally squeezing as much as it did out of that console iteration of as much of as Super Mario 3 could squeeze out of the NES, you have to say that game is unbelievable from and we haven't gotten there yet. But from the map screen to the to the depth, to the length, to the graphics, the level of power ups, the bonus games, the airships, the dungeons, the castles, everything. I mean, that game has so much to it and is so fun to play and also i have to say probably the pinnacle of immaculate gameplay i mean you have to recognize that as a gamer mario 3 controls like no other game especially up to that point it was unparalleled in fact i would say the the controls in super mario 2 are a little slippery it's just something about mario 2 that's joy a joyful playing experience for me it's colorful and even when later on, when I start getting on Mario 3, which I will, about not being able to save a game that massive having a battery save, I got news for you. Either there's either this Mario 2. Mario 2 is a pretty big game, too. It doesn't have a battery save. has a, a handful, it continues, and then you're finished. So I'm going to get on the, the next game for something that I'm not going to get on Mario 2 about. But I just recognize not only Mario 3, but later on when we talk about, on, on a separate podcast, when we talk about Super Mario World, on the SNES, you have to recognize those two games as the best as the best Mario games for me, just because of how what they're bringing to the table. But there's such, just such a joyfulness and a replayability to this game that makes me want to plug it in and play it. And I can't even say I I will be honest with you on this: the replay value for me is not even using the other characters because I almost can't even stand using Luigi and Princess Toadstool. It's just not the same game with those two characters for me. You know, like you and I talk about, Kyle, it's just, it's just kind of a bizarre thing to talk about, but maybe not. Maybe people understand this. 
that sort of elegant gameplay, that flow and fluidity and sort of when you get good at a game and you played it a bunch of times and you just get good at it and it flows. And it's almost like this thing where you're you're really into it, but you're also not thinking about it. It's just coming naturally and you're just flowing through a game. This that game, this game, when I have a good round of Super Mario 2 and I could beat this game without dying, I think I think I can only beat it without dying using the warps, though, in all, in all honesty. But, you know, just that this game has that for me. It's a lot of fun just to go through it and sort of almost speed run it, you know, type of type of a thing or play it elegantly where you're not getting hit and you're flowing and you're not tripping up and you're not breaking the rhythm and you're jumping at just, just the right moment. That's why I love this game so much. And also the idea of thinking about it in a historical context where it seemed like every Mario game was going to be so different and they were just going to experiment every time. And that that sort of creativity, I think, always spoke to me, too, you know. Definitely. I think it's a really interesting game. And I'm glad that revisionist history has been kinder to it than I think. I think everyone's initial reactions when everyone at large kind of figured it out. We felt hoodwinked and I don't like and it always did bother me. It's the same reason why Mega Man 2 has a normal difficulty and other things. This idea in Japan that we couldn't play hard games. I was always puzzled by it. Clearly, Nintendo had no fucking clue what was going on in Western game development, not only in Europe, but here in North America, especially on PC. People were playing very difficult games. And good point, especially if you think about the PC. Right. And so like, it's like, oh, yeah, we can't handle it. Like, why would you think that they can handle it and we can't handle it? It doesn't really make any sense. Yet, yet you have no problem with Tecmo giving us Ninja Gaiden and stuff like that. It's like, OK, it doesn't really make any sense. But just to throw it in here, because I guess it is relevant. The real Mario 2 did come out you know, in 1986 in Japan. And, you know, we know it as the Lost Levels. That was Super Mario Brothers 2. And basically it is so it is really hard. I don't think I've ever beaten it. We didn't get it again until Super Mario All-Stars, which was a compilation of Mario 1, Mario 2, Mario 3 and the Lost Levels on Super Nintendo. Later on, I think they even threw Mario World in there. Wasn't there a version of Super Mario All-Stars plus Super Mario World on the same cartridge? Yes, I think so. So I never had that, but so that was the first time we played it. And I remember playing and being like, wow, this really is hard. But it's kind of insulting in a way to think that, like, what, why, why, why couldn't we play this? It doesn't really make any sense. I so what they were, if they were just so desperate to bank on, I know the North American market was really important for them financially and they were just being overly cautious. But yeah, it really is. If you really do think about it, it is insulting. The PC gaming, I don't know if I ever thought about it from that perspective. That is a great point. You know, people were playing extremely hard games on the PC. I remember playing some games on the PC that were like impossible, like that Karataka game. Karataka, is that what it's called? Like, I remember just playing. I never had a PC growing up. Some of my friends did. My God, the flight simulator games and everything. People were subjecting themselves to these games. Unbelievably difficult. I think they were afraid that it wasn't accessible enough. And I kind of wonder what trajectory, if it would have even mattered if Mario 2, as it was, came out in the States in place of Mario USA, I wonder what if what if anything would have changed? You know, I, I'm curious about that kind of splintering in time and, you know, that that inflection point that might have really mattered. I mean, for all I know, maybe they were right on. Maybe that would have just been like the end. People have been like, this is boring. It's the same thing. But you brought up Pac-Man, Miss Pac-Man, Pac-Man Jr. Those were all the same games, too. And so we were used to getting, you know, Miss Pac-Man, obviously, is the superior Pac-Man game. I think sure, we all know that. I mean, that's, that's pretty much an objective fact. I don't think anyone disputes that. But and we were talking about how I've always wanted a Miss Pac-Man cabinet like forever. Oh, me too. Because I really love that game. P.O. Box. No. <laughs> send it to the P.O. Box over in Santa Monica. We'll accept whatever you can send us. So, yeah, I wanted to at least give a shout out to Lost Levels. I don't think it's probably the only Mario game, mainstream Mario game until Wii that I probably didn't beat. 
I don't recall beating it. Maybe I did. I never did. I was way better when I was a kid at games, as we've said before, than I am now. Like way better. I was when you were a kid, kid, I was playing like Kid Icarus when I was like six and like beating it. You know, like it's it's an amazing thing when you really think about it. Like I've no, I play Kid Icarus now and I'm like, that game is so <laughs> getting hard. my fucking ass. Beat. Oh, that game is ridiculously hard. I love it, though. But no, you're right, though. But Lost Levels. Yeah. You know what's called? I was going to ask you if you ever beat it. I never beat it either. Maybe yeah. I was resentful. I was resentful about Lost Levels. Yeah, I don't. It, it, I remember getting Super Mario All-Stars when it came out. I bought it. I think I got it for my birthday in 93, if I remember correctly. OK. And I just didn't care about it. I was just like, this is not why I bought it. I want to play Mario 2 and Mario 3. That was like what I wanted to play. So one of the first examples, by the way, of a compilation uh, on consoles. That's right. That's yeah. true. And you know what also, Kyle, about Super Mario 2, just to go back a little bit and explore what made it feel so great. I love that. You know what's important to note about this game for me? And I don't know if people would agree or if even you would agree with this, Kyle. The thing about Super Mario 2 was it had enough of those elements that we were familiar with. It had enough of that familiarity of a Mario game balanced with all the new elements. It still felt like a Mario game, but it also at the same time concurrently felt like something new. And I think that's why it worked for me. I think, you know, and I loved also the fact that now we had all these, I talk about this a lot in games, and I guess it's something that I'm really drawn to, not only games, but in movies too, about that sort of, not only the variety and the dynamic character design, but also just having something with, with colorful and immersive environments and sort of unique environments and a dynamic range of environments. This is the first time that we saw Mario in the desert. We saw Mario in the snow. There was quicksand. You had to dig through these giant sand pits. You were in, you know, you were, had to traverse caves and be in the interiors of these weird, you know, buildings that were seemingly these endless vertical buildings. And you're in, you know, all these environments you're in, you know, grasslands and traversing over platforms over water and the you know whales and you know climbing along the water spouts from whales and all that kind of stuff it was very cartoony and colorful and it was the first time it was ever you know go if you look at the difference between this the variety of environments from this to super mario brothers it's so it gives you so much more and i think that was such a welcome thing it felt like a progression it felt like a logical progression like oh mario games are getting better that's how it really felt to me you know, and also very important to note, this game came out in October of 98. Now, we're getting ready to jump ahead to Super Mario 3. 88, right? Yeah, he said 98. I just wanted to clarify. Oh, sorry. So this game came out in October of 88. Now, we're getting ready to jump into Super Mario 3, which came out when? It came out in the North America in... February of 1990. 1990. So it wasn't that long in between these two games. And how how they overlap so now that's a you know that's a good tie into jumping off to the ultimate nes mario title indeed and by the way shout out to the masks that chase you when you uh, get the key as well in mario 2 which was always horrifying phantos yeah horrifying they're just, they are scary just absolutely horrifying <laughs> will han wrote into us and said i adore super mario brothers 3 the game will forever hold a special place in my heart and it is perfect why is it that they have to keep making 3D Mario games? I do love those games, but I've always wondered what it would be like if they made another 2D pixel art game in the core series. Imagine what the reaction would be to that. I would lose my fucking mind in the best way possible. Well, they did make 2D games. Well, 2.5D games on Wii. Yeah. And they were fun. I know what you're saying, though. You want something like in the style of Super Mario Maker, basically. And that would be fun. And that would be nice to get that. I don't know why they don't do it, but it does segue us nicely into Super Mario Brothers 3. And Super Mario Brothers 3 did come out in the States in February of 1990. And what's interesting about that is that it wasn't supposed to come out in February of 1990. It was supposed to come out in 1989. There was a 
cartridge shortage or really a, a chip shortage that was affecting certain first party games that Nintendo were releasing at the time. This actually also delayed The Legend of Zelda 2 or Zelda 2, The Adventures of Link is what it really is called. So this actually gave them an interesting opportunity to include the game in The Wizard, which is a really cult favorite movie from the late 80s. That was the first showing, I think it came out in late 1989, that first showed Super Mario Brothers 3. It was basically an ornate Nintendo commercial and it was awesome. And that was, I remember seeing that and being excited so cool. about that. I remember Mario 3 coming out and not being in an event as a young kid. What were your remembrances of Mario 3 being on the horizon? Because by this point, you were plugged in. By this point, you had yeah. to have known the game was coming. And, yeah, and all absolutely. That. So talk to me about that. I remember seeing the TV commercials. They played them a lot on, you know, of course, during this time in, you know, 89 and into 90. I was already watching a lot of, I was an older kid. I was watching a lot of MTV. This is the first time I remember Nintendo really being, for me, it, they, they were already very much into marketing and advertising. But this was the first time I think I was really paying attention to it. Just for whatever reason, I was really plugged in and tuned into it. So I knew this game was coming and I was excited about it. And, you know, of course, we have to talk about also The Wizard, which was the film that heavily promoted the game in North America. So, yeah, for me, I knew it was coming. And I was super excited about it. And I remember having that again, just being in that context of not knowing that much about it. I don't remember how much I was looking in the magazines, especially Nintendo Power, about the game. But I remember exactly not knowing what to expect and how being excited about how different it was going to be and what it was going to feel like and what was it going to be this time. You know, that sort of feeling about it. And playing it for the first time too, I wanted to pick your brain. So what about you? Now, what about your very age-specific context with this game? Were you very much looking forward to it? Yeah, I remember being excited about it. I have, I have more than the other Mario games. I have memories of this coming out and of us playing this together because I was really obsessed specifically with the airship levels. And... I used to watch you play and I would build Legos. I had like these airplane set Legos that came with propellers. So they allowed me to like make convincing looking airships and I would build these airships in my room while Dagan played the game in my room. That's so cool. And I That's remember so that. That's so awesome. You know, I remember that too. Yeah, it was exciting. It was an exciting thing. Like it was, it's one of the first games if not, maybe not one of the first. It's because uh, I remember, let's see, this was February of 1990. So we were, yeah, this actually was before Mega Man 3. This was before Castlevania 3, which are two other prominent memories for me, Ninja Gaiden 2. So, yeah, this is probably the first game I contemporarily remember, you know, being excited about. And again, it wasn't a game. It was a game we rented and it was a game we borrowed. We didn't own it. This was a game we just never owned. Never owned it. In the time. And again, until the late 90s is when or mid 90s is when I think I bought it. I think it was bought in like 97 or something like that. So, yeah, I remember playing it and it, and it really was a revolutionary game and is a revolutionary game. I think now I'll say again that I think Super Mario World does what Super Mario Brothers 3 does better. But as Dagan said before, and I think it's really pertinent, is that based on the hardware and based on the late generation kind of stuff they were doing, it wasn't that late generation. There were games that really pushed the NES. I think Mega Man 6 is a game that often comes up where I'm like, that's a game that really pushed the NES. But Absolutely. Mario 3, it's just so amazing. There's only a few years that separate this from what then looked like a very primitive Super Mario Brothers. And this game is interesting because it had a high budget. It took two years to make, which was unusual for the time. And there was a team of like 20 or 30 people working on it. That's a lot. That's a lot of people. That's a decent sized team even for today. That's not a double A or triple A uh, size team by any stretch of the imagination. But there are plenty of popular indie games, for instance, that people love with much smaller teams than sure. what made Mario 3. Of course. So they really took their time and, and paid a price for it financially in order to get it out. And it was also delayed in Japan pretty prominently. I think it was delayed by like six months or eight months in Japan because they were just polishing and they were just adding so much to it. And that's the thing about Mario 3. There's just a lot in it. There's a lot in it. It's not a linear game. It's not, you know, point A to point B game. Immediately you're introduced to it in World 1. 
where there are two stages you don't even have to go to in World One, and you could just go right to the you know to the fortress and then right around. And I loved that, you know, and I still oh, love that. And I'm a completionist. I still beat world, you know, one three and one four when I play the game, and and try to do all those things and try to cheat in the fl- in the flip card game and do all that kind of stuff. I there's just certain cadences that I play this game because I've played it so much. And I just put up a let's play. By the time you guys hear this, I guess it wouldn't have just gone up. But you can go to my YouTube channel because I put up a let's play of me playing it for about a half an hour, just dicking around with it. But it's a really phenomenal game and a really special game. Absolutely, of course. Oh, it's unbelievable. I mean, it's so it's such a wonderful game. I mean, I have to talk about my biggest. We'll we'll get to this. I'll talk about my biggest problem with the game. But I mean, just yes, yeah, so much to this game. It's so, there's so much to it. They they poured so much TLC into this game and the way it plays is so wonderful so wonderful and fluid and just yeah exactly the fact that it's non-linear the fact that there's so much to do the bonus games the power the, the power-ups the sheer amount of power-ups the warp whistles i mean it's so the, the way that you know the design of the levels the art direction it's it's so it's just so beautiful it's just so it's such a beautiful game now kyle would you let's just cut to the chase on this discussion is it the best NES game? Is it the best game made for the Super for for the Nintendo Entertainment System? No, I don't think so. But I think it would be in the top five, probably. Yeah. Okay. Top I think, five for you, definitely. Yeah, I think you would throw maybe even top ten. No, I think top five is probably reasonable. I mean, you have to think about at least putting one Mega Man game in there, one Castlevania game in there. You know, there's some others, Dragon Warrior, Zelda, Zelda. But it's certainly in that conversation. I mean, I'm also a big fan of Kid Icarus. I'm a big fan of Kung Fu. Yeah. There's a lot. I, I would mean, put it's, Metroid it, in that discussion. You're not a big Metroid fan generally, but I would put Metroid in that in that discussion. I think it might be. I think it might be the most important NES game. I think it might be the. I think it might be the best NES game in terms of development. Now, it's not my. You know, obviously, it's not my favorite. I love Super Mario Two. I love Mega Man Two and Three. I love Castlevania One, Two, and Three. I love Ducktales. I love you know. I love Contra. I love Life Force. I love. J- I love Jackal. Although. People probably would not put Jackal in the top 10 games for the NES. I, I might. <laughs> no, there's, I mean, there's a, there's a lot. There's I so mean, many. I mean, Mario 3, I think, would be in the conversation of one of the best NES games, though. I don't think anyone would really deny that. And certainly one of the most sophisticated games and one of the deepest games. And it's funny because you talk about the lack of battery in it, which is true and the lack of battery in Mario 2. But what I loved about Mario 3 is that I think the warp whistles, again, were an acknowledgement of that. The warp whistles are easy to get. You can get to World 8, the final world really quickly, like in no time at all. It takes you like five minutes if you really wanted to do it. And they don't make it incredibly difficult or obtuse to get the whistles you need in order to make that jump. Right. So while the battery is a holdback, I think that it's cool that they at least give you the option to just get back to where you are. It doesn't really matter. Like if if you were in, you know, World 4, which is the big world, which is my favorite world in the game. I love that world where all the enemies are gigantic. Oh, that's big world? Yeah. I was going to ask your favorite. Oh, yeah, that's definitely my favorite. Who's is not, of all the worlds in that game, as wonderful as they are, is Big World anybody's? I mean, it's got to be everybody's favorite. How can it not be? It's so cool. I mean, I remember seeing that for the first time, and being like, "Wow, this is awesome." That was my first Psycho Mantis moment in video games. Maybe second. My first one was Double Dragon. I think I've talked about that on the show before. We, we had, had to fight, fight each, each other. other at the end, yeah. and we were just like, "What?" Like we couldn't even fight each other. We just let go of the joysticks. We're like, "What is happening right now?" Our heads blew up, and like a Psycho Mantis moment in Metal Gear Solid. This was that. That was the first one for me. It's like, "Oh my god!" You know, like, and I was like way too old to be reacting right. like that to this but yeah it blew my mind no it's so cool and i love the diversity you you, you talked about the geodiversity in mario 2 which is there and, and to a degree in mario 1 with not geodiversity but day night cycles and some yeah, different started platforms and stuff very primitive but 
Yeah, you have your desert and your ice worlds in Mario 2, and, and you have that in this one too. You have Desert World is too. You have the water world, which is really cool, the pipe world. So there was a lot of like really cool so stuff. There's a lot of identity in that game where everyone kind of gleaned on to something that they liked. And there was a lot that was unique about it. Again, I think it's an incredibly easy game, and that troubles me a little bit. But there's Do you think it's easy? Yeah, I think it's easy. I think Mario World is easier, but I think that Super Mario Brothers 3 is an easy game. I thought that even at the time, yeah. you know, and it's not easy necessarily because you're not going to die. It's easy because they're they give you so many lives and there's an inventory system in the game that yes. was not found in Mario one and two so that you can kind of put things away because of all the mini games. So a cool a few of the cool things that they introduce in the game that people should make note of is that the inventory system is there so you can just stack up mushrooms and there's you know now you can get a raccoon tail by using like this leaf so you can get that which allows you to fly which is a whole other dynamic that was really cool in the game that was kind of carried through with the cape in super mario world and there are these you know mini games where you know card flipping and item matching and just all sorts of stuff like that and then at the end of every stage you can get a star or a fire flower or a mushroom and if you kind of stack those up you get more lives and it's just very generous yes and i think too generous with that kind of stuff. It's huge. So it allows a lot of experimentation because you can die and kind of, you know, and, and by the way, you can just miss stages. Even if you're playing through organically, you can just miss stuff. But then there's a lot of like cool things in there that frustrate you. If you die on the airship, the airship moves, which means that if you didn't destroy all of the or go through all the stages, you'd have to go to another stage and beat it and then go back to the airship, yeah, which I always loved, which exactly. kind of encouraged you, especially later on in the game to just be complete with it. And there are things like magic boxes that will put, you know, Boomerang Brothers and Hammer Brothers to sleep and allow you to pass by them and stuff. Like that. There's a lot of really cool, clever, cute touches in the game that come from a design perspective that can only come from a guy like, you know, Miyamoto and his team. And what can you say about it? I mean, it definitely in terms of scoring rubric and stuff, it's certainly a 10. It's certainly a masterpiece game. It's it's absolutely a masterpiece. It's I would, masterful. I would call the original Mario, I would call, you know, influential and very well made and certainly incredibly impressive for its time. But I don't know that I'd call it a masterpiece. I would just call it like, wow, this is this is something so important. Oh, agreed. You know, and, and very playable. And Mario 2 is a great game. But Mario 3 is the culmination of what they could do when they had time and when they had budget and when absolutely. they had staff. Absolutely. Know? And that combination to put this level of depth into a game with all the components that you just discussed and all those elements and seemingly disparate elements into a game and still make it feel cohesive is a real, that's a real marvel and a real achievement in game design to make it still feel cohesive and not all over the place. Because there is a lot to this game. You talk about the map screen, the inventory system, the bonus games, the sheer amount of power-ups, you know, the sheer amount of things that Mario is capable of, everything about it is just seems like, wow, that when you talk about it, it sounds like that sounds like a mess, you know, but it's not. It feels so cohesive. It feels like, you know, the culmination of one, you know, artistic vision and one, you know, vision of just making this perfect semblance of a game. It was such a wonderful way for Mario to go out on the console. You know, it was such a, such a great way for Mario to go out on the NES. Not that there wasn't other things that came later with, you know, with Wario and all that kind of stuff and Yoshi and all that kind of stuff, but just for the console itself, you know, which was really just unbelievable. For me, with Mario 3, very personal vision and why I'm particularly hard on it was because, now Kyle, you be able, may be able to speak to this a little more, the lack of a battery save and, a, you know, sort of that option in the game was something that I thought was maybe a late in the game decision. That was sort of like a ninth inning move on Nintendo just because it was going to be too expensive. 
I don't think it was always intended that this game wouldn't have a battery save, as far as that I know. But the, the thing that held this game back for me was because it is so big. And also, admittedly, I didn't, I wasn't a really big purveyor of the warp whistle. I didn't use it for some reason. I don't know if it's just because I knew less about this game. I knew less of the secrets. I was less immersed in this game. But for me, it was always aggravating. It wasn't one of those plug and play games that, and it also could speak to my age because I was in high school. The games I like to play on the NES, even as much as I loved Zelda and Kid Icarus and Metroid and stuff, those aren't the games I tended to play the most. I tended to play, you know, Life Force and Contra and Jackal and Kung Fu and RC Pro-Am. The arcade style games. The arcade style games that you could just plug and play. And they were kind of like a one-off. You play it for an hour. You could get through them. You could beat them. Even some of the Mega Man games I played tended to play. But... For Mario 3, I think what held it back from me and why I played it less was just because I knew I couldn't just sit down and play it for an hour. I would have to, you know, it was going to be more of a a time consumer for me. But I think if it wasn't for that element, I would probably like it just as much as Mario 2 because it just, when you, especially when you really think about it, when you really sit down and play it like I did a couple of weeks ago and really got into it again and being able to play it with my son now who's eight, it's just so, it's such a wonderful work. Of, it's a it's really it's really masterful and you could see everything that they carried over later on again we'll do this in a separate podcast but everything they carried over to what I like to call Super Mario 4 which they should have called it Super Mario 4 as mm. far as I'm concerned Super Mario World so you could see everything that they were going to carry over then to Super Mario World now for you what's the better game Super Mario World yeah definitely game? Super Mario World is a better game I mean it's a more refined game and I think that you know, and we'll do one on Mario World. I think we just do one on Mario World because the game is so dynamic and so big, adds so much to it. But I like the introductory, you know, kind of sequences that this game this game introduces ghosts and introduces the idea, you know, thwomps and chain chomps and a lot of stuff. I love the stages where the stage in the desert world where the sun chases you. There's a lot of like so moments good. like that, a lot of like, like harrowing moments like that, even though they're not that difficult to get through. There's just a lot of intrigue in the game that I think is is a lot of fun to reflect upon. And, you know, the idea of flying in the game was really cool, too, because it gave the game verticality for the first time where that gave you reason and cause to explore. And if there was, you know, a raccoon tail to be had in a stage or if you can draw it into a stage, then there was a good chance that there was something for you to find there, even if it was just a minor warp that brought you to a room with a, you know, a P square and 10 coins or something like you just felt like you accomplished something. So there was something really dynamic and cool about that and what it added to the gameplay and I think a really smart design decision and then the really little things that are in there too like the boot and the frog suit and stuff that are like a very have like very limited use the P cloud uh, you know all of that kind of stuff are or P wing I think it is or all the stuff yeah, that it always looked like a cloud to me but I guess it is a wing <laughs> you know there's a lot of stuff that you know I like how you get little letters from Peach and she like gives you these items and I like how the kingdoms all being turned into, you know, these different animals and these different species by Koopa or Bowser. And I love, again, the airships and I love the Koopa kids. Oh, that's the Koopalings are like, that's the thing for me. They're I awesome. love that. Oh, it's so fun. You know how he has like all of his kids fighting for him now and stuff like that. It's it's really neat. And just the little things like the fortresses and jumping up to grab the staff as it falls down after you beat each Koopa kid, like trying to catch it on the fly. And there's a lot to it you know the I, I one of the things that i talked about in my let's play which i think is a really minor nuanced thing that is just a beautiful design decision that gives the airships such interesting dynamic is the airships move up and down a little bit so when a cannon on the airship fires it fires with an arc 
there's like little touches like that that are not easy to do on the NES. And, and obviously one of the things that contributed to them taking so much time and even getting a delay and getting more time and more money and more staff and more resources to make this game. It was smart that Nintendo saw what they had here. Just having hub worlds was really cool. But on a beat by beat basis, the game is is a brilliant gameplay. You know, so good. it's a class, a master class on gameplay. I'm going to hold it. I have the stack of yeah, I see your cartridges there that you're I needed inspiration. You hear them? There they are. This is Mario 3. My Mario 2 label's peeling a little bit. I'm not happy about that. Now, is that Mario 1, the original one that we had? I was wondering the same thing. I was going to ask you that, too. Mario 1, I'm holding up here. So you guys know. I, You know what, Kyle? It might be. It might be. Why wouldn't it be? Right? Yeah, that's pretty cool. Mario 3. Now, this Mario 3, you guys will know the image. If you don't know it, look it up. The Mario 3 label art on the card itself. That might be. It's Mario, sort of a pose of Mario in his raccoon suit in flight. That might be my single most favorite piece of Mario art right there. I'm holding it up for Carl. Yeah, it's awesome. it's awesome. I would get a tattoo. That was my thumbnail uh, for the Let's Play. Was oh, that. was it yeah. really? Oh, it's just gorgeous. Set on against that yellow with the blue text. And just how talk about appeal. Look how cool Mario looks there. He's, yeah, the whole bo- the he's box. He's adorable. Was, I remember the box, too. Just the yellow box. It was very appealing. You oh, know? it's so good. I would get that tattoo. Would you? I definitely would. Yeah, I definitely would. That That would be a timeless piece of art. You know, we talk about I wouldn't get a tattoo because I get so tired. I certainly wouldn't design my own because I get tired of my own work. But something like that, yeah, for sure. He looks good on Mario 2, too. But you know what? His fist, something weird with his fist there. Look at his fist. The one that he's holding up. Now he's holding the radish, but yeah, the other fist, see that? It's huge. What the hell is wrong with him there? He has like, and he has like five fingers and a thumb. <laughs> it's weird. Never noticed that. Yeah, Super Mario 3. Look at that. So good. So beautiful. Any closing comments before we wrap this uh, podcast up? Anything you want to touch on with any of the games that we've discussed so far? You know what? I, we, we covered a lot. You did a really good job covering everything, Kyle. I, I wanted to ask you your favorite power-up in Mario 3, but I'm sure I know what the answer is. But tell me anyway, what's your favorite power-up power in Well, the Fire game? Flower is going to be my favorite still. Right, the Fire Flower Returns. Right, of course. Mario 3. And But, you know, I lo- again, I love the raccoon suit. I just think it was such a clever and cute. Just It's just weird, like... These things, we take them for granted. We take these design decisions for granted. Yeah, of course, Mario has a raccoon tail. Right. Of course, Mario just finds, you know, a a leaf and turns into a raccoon and can fly. It's like it doesn't make any fucking sense. It doesn't. It's so whimsical, but we just accepted it because, again, it's just that it's just that creative direction and art direction that works. It's a vision that works. It's not forced. It's just it is what it is. You know, again, we talk about Shigeru Miyamoto a lot on the show, but what a brilliant I mean, not only him, his team as well, but, you know, he was he, he was helming the ship. So we got to talk about him. Yeah. And again, you know, very striking. The Mario changing appearance in this game and having a, an animal suit and having the raccoon suit when he obtained the leaf power up. That's the first time we really saw him change appearance. Now we saw him change colors. Right. But the first time he was actually rocking a different suit. And I love the noise that happens. And like, the, it's like, you know, it's, mm. you know, I can't even replicate it. Very when you pick good it up. Point. And it's like, a, I think there's like a little little animation you know that when he pops into it yeah sort of a little puff yeah it's cool as hell it it really is you know what i'm glad you remembered to bring up the sound design and and also the music big shout out to the music even going back to super mario brothers which i neglected to mention the dungeon level music or the castle you know the bowser the king koopa levels that music i mean talk about tension you know and that tinkling over the music that ding 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 you know that I don't think I think that was the first time that you 
we were ever scared in a video game. It like it propels you forward. It makes you so nervous. Like talk about sweaty palms playing a video game. You know, it always had that effect on me, whether it was, the, you know, that sort of gray brick dungeon with the lava, the bubbling lava and the fireballs coming at you in those those gates, those spinning fireball gates with that music playing. Oh, man, that. Oh, so, so immersive. I mean, talk about something primitive now, but in, you know, for back then, that just that just blew our minds. And again, introducing you to those spinning you know, flame lines and how they would just get bigger and bigger and bigger. And then they'd put like a, you know, a block in there to like tantalize you to just try to come get it. But you really so shouldn't, you know, so it's, mean. It's awesome. And yeah, the music and, you know, a, a, an important thing to point out, not in Mario 2, but in Mario 1 and 3, it's timed. So you can't really mess around and how the music, you know, ding, 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 and then the music like picks up and there's a lot of tension. Yeah, there definitely is. It's cool. Yeah, it's just brilliant game design. And, you know, and again, do you, do you remember now I'm thinking back and laughing, but of the, you're talking about those big gates, especially in the later dungeon levels where, but you don't you remember the first time, like you popped onto that and you saw the gates, but you're like, seriously, like, how am I going to ever get past it? Like it looked impossible, you know, thinking like, okay, you know, yeah, you had to like basically enough. jump at it as it was moving. Like at the, it has to be like almost pixel perfect. Right. Like it gets that it's awesome. difficult. It's so good. So good. And, I of, and of course, the gauntlet in A3 and the original Mario is, is amazing, which is Hammer Brother after Hammer Brother after oh Hammer Brother God. after Hammer Brother. It's awesome. Oh, they were the worst. Being little, being little Mario or mm -hmm. Luigi and facing a Hammer Brother was just suicide. It's absolute suicide. Because you just, it's funny, like you wait, like I, you like play a little <laughs> game with them where you just like, sometimes you wait like 30 seconds and then you're like, all right, here's the opening and then just bap, just throws a hammer like right as you're coming at you. It's awesome. <laughs> Like you uh, think you're timing it like it goes like 10 seconds without him doing anything. And you're like, all right. And then he just, ran, <laughs> just throws what I did. As soon as you move, he yeah. throws one. <laughs> it's like Metal Man and Mega Man 2 oh when he doesn't do anything God. unless you do it so something first. Yeah. All right, Dig. Well, I think it's a pretty exhaustive look and a pretty good look at Super Mario Brothers 1, 2, and 3 on the NES. There's a million different ways you can play these games. And, and if for some reason you haven't or it's been a long time since you played them, they're accessible on virtual console across many Nintendo platforms. You can play the NES original. You can play Super Mario All-Stars on SNES. And of course, you can play NES Classic where the, all three of them appear there as well. I mean, there's a million options for you. And we really encourage you to, to play them. If you, if For some reason, you've not played these games. I, I think it's insane. And you're crazy. You're crazy, man. Th there's certain things like I think if you're a film fan, there are certain films you have to see. I'm not a film fan. But if you're a film fan, you, you know, you have to see certain movies. And if you're a music buff or a rock buff, you know, you have to know certain albums and you have to really have that context, you know. You can't be a rock music fan and not have listened to like the Beatles and Pink Floyd and and Led Zeppelin. I, I just don't think that's possible. You know. Oh and, wait, yeah, well, Kyle, I could wait. Actually, finish your thought, then we'll go into what I was going to say. Go okay. Ahead. And I was just going to say, if you if you are a gamer and you've not played a Mario, a classic Mario game, and that's that's absolutely inexcusable. Like it really, it really is. Like not for nothing, it's just totally inexcusable. I can't forgive you for that. I forgive you. So, but go play. I don't. I mean, it's it's one of those things. Like you know. I, if you're a younger person, you're in, in your teens or whatever, and you just didn't have access to these games, like you got to play them like it's part of the genome of video games like you'll it, it must be an amazing experience to experience these games for the first time. If you have that option to god. do that, my god, my you know, god, my god, my god, oh you got to do it. So god. what were you going to say? Dang it. So I was just going to say I forgot to mention Super Mario 2. Second best ending on the NES. You know, what the, you know what the first best ending is? You know what the first one is. You got to think about it for a minute, though. Castlevania 2? No, that's a good ending, too. Well, I just was thinking of Mega Man 2. 
Oh. When he's traversing through the, the seasons? seasons and then he leaves his helmet on the hill. That's the best ending. Super Mario 2, though. I'm not going to spoil it for you guys. If you haven't beaten Super Mario 2 yet, it's a very charming ending. It is. It is a good ending. And a big reveal. A big reveal and also an amazing boss fight with Wart. Like that, oh, that that's a really God. that's a really uh, dynamic boss fight so for the fun. time. So fun. All the boss fights in that are really dynamic and on a beat by beat basis in Super Mario Brothers 2, like just how you can create stacks of barriers oh, I and love that. use, you know, and using the bombs against Mauser and all that. Like there's a lot to love about the design philosophy, but actually Wart's fight in Mario 2 is way ahead of its time. It is. And it way really more is. dynamic, by the way, than anything in Mario 3. And apparently they made it harder for a Mario 2 as opposed to Doki Doki Panic. They made it because you have to ram six veggies down his throat, I believe, in our version. In the Japanese version, it was only four. So they made it a little harder. Which is weird because they released it to make it a little easier. Nintendo, we want Wart. Where the hell is he? Dude, I'd buy a Wart Amiibo in two seconds. He's like two seconds. Like the top floor of Nintendo headquarters, like locked in a closet since like 1988. It's really weird. Like, I, I, especially with Smash Brothers, you know, Smash Brothers Ultimate's now on on Switch. And I was just reading today again. I don't know when you guys are going to hear this, but I was just reading today the fastest selling S- Smash Brothers game and the fastest selling Switch game to date. And wow, that's unbelievable. And it's awesome. And like, I'm so glad that they brought the Ice Climbers back, and, who are some of my favorite characters. And, you know, they brought in everybody and day to days in there who I love. And, and every, but like, why? What? There's got to be a reason. There's got to be. I mean, literally, there's got to be a reason. There's no reason. There's no other. Is is? Let me ask you a question. You could even use Piranha Plant now, correct? In in Smash. Oh, I don't know about Piranha that. Piranha Plant is a playable character now. I believe he's coming. Now, is there any other characters that are not in any other classic Boo. Nintendo character? <laughs> is Boo in there yet? No, I don't. I'm just saying, like it. Even in the like, I've always thought it in the golf games and the tennis games and stuff. Like you could play as a Piranha Plant and and the ghosts and you know Chain Chomp and everything. But it's like it's a little <laughs> weird at this point. They're, it's very it's, conspicuous. They're setting it up where when they finally do, if they finally do ever release Wart as a playable character in Smash, it's going to be the most celebrated. Or maybe people don't give a shit. I don't know. For me, it'll be the most celebrated. Where the hell? Seriously, somebody's got to get to the It's going to be hard to beat Simon for me in terms of my excitement level. Mega Man, I was excited about until I played as him because he kind of sucks to play as and he's all squashed and shit yeah, like that. He doesn't a, look cool. Like He doesn't look cool enough. No, he doesn't look cool at all. Like he like Mega Man. There's cool Mega Man and not cool Mega Man. Yeah. And really not cool Mega Man. Like that cart <laughs> like that cartoon they did recently. Oh my God, I'm not even talking about that. Horrifying. I, I watched it on YouTube like one episode. I was like, this is just terrifying. Yeah, it's I, I, I can't even believe the powers that be at Capcom would even let that get out. It's freaking embarrassing. No one's shepherding the brand better than that. No, it's embarrassing, dude. Did you play Mega Man 11? <laughs> <laughs> I like that game. I know. See, we disagree do. on something. No, we do. We do disagree. And by the way, we, we do disagree on that. And we also, you know, I also am in the minority on that, which I accept. But I have to let you guys know that I'm a bigger Mega Man fan than all of you. And I have I just have more sway in this. Conversation. I cannot I'm argue. So, with, I'm sorry I cannot that. argue with that. But Did you, know, you play it in Japanese, though. No, I didn't. You should play it in Japanese. It adds a little more authenticity. You know, now that we have that option, you know, of being able to play, like I always, I talk to you about this a lot, but I always wanted to play Mega Man 8 in Japanese because I just think the voices really hurt that game a lot. What is it like in Japanese? Is it passable? So now that you could play Mega Man 11 in Japanese, you got to do it. I'm Sword Man. <laughs> Your son keeps turning on Mega Man 8 on your PS3 and it's it's really upsetting. He's obsessed with it. It's starting to upset me because I 
I was sitting at the like the dining room table, and you know that that late '90s Capcom startup, like the yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like I like I know what games that's attached to Street Fighter games, like Breath of Fire Three. There's like certain, and I'm like, I know exact. Stop. You know what is wrong with you? Stop, child. He's growing up in Mega Man. You know, he's eight, and look, Mega Man Eleven is his newest game. Now you have to give him some credit. He loves Mega Man Nine and Ten, and he loves Two and Three, but yeah, he likes Mega Man Eight. He's also obsessed with Mega Man 7, as you know, because it's the only one he hasn't played. 7 is the worst. It's so bad. I try to tell him that, but he doesn't listen. I'm going to disown him. Because <laughs> we're, get, we're getting plays. He was Mega Man for Halloween, which is awesome. He was. I'm very proud of him. And, and again, as I said on a previous episode, I'm really going to start chipping away on him on Castlevania now, because that's not acceptable. That like, that's weird play. to me. Like, how how do you not? Oh, you will. You know, even Symphony of the Night, he was like, eh, meh. You know, Very interesting. It's a generational thing. It's got to be. Well, I'm going to start thre- when I start with the threats, then he'll start to understand what's at stake. <laughs> yeah. Either that or he's not really my son. No, he is your son because of the it, it's so it's so funny watching and, 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 and it really does wrap back around to Mario here. It is so funny watching an eight year old child be raised playing these games as if they're new. Yeah. And they're he, new to them. And he has yeah. and he has switch and he has PS4 and he has all the access to all this stuff. Yeah, it's not like he doesn't. And he does. And, you know, I bought him that Pokemon EV game or whatever for Switch and all that. So he's playing these new games. But and, you know, we, we, he and I play Mario Maker sometimes together. But so it's not like he's not playing new games, but it's funny that he has. And it's awesome that he has a real true appreciation for these old games. It's awesome. He loves it. And Shovel Knight. Mm-hmm. Loves Shovel Knight. Biggest Shovel Knight fan. Listens to the OST in his room. Has a little CD. Pops it in, which I think you got for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Loves it. Loves it. Yeah, it's very cool. It's very you're doing a good job. Keep it up. But thank you, my friend. We need to move on to, you know, some of these other auxiliary franchises that you and I adore that, you know, it's hard for me to believe that he wouldn't like Ninja Gaiden, although Ninja Gaiden might be a little scary for him. Might still. be too hard for him. I don't think he'd be. He, uh, so the cut I mean, that's some of that shit scares me still. Yeah. yeah. The cutscenes and stuff. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty crazy. Dude, I love the fight, though. I was playing it recently. This is totally because we'll do Ninja Gaiden. Oh, yeah, there, of course. There was a. That fight in the bar in the first stage is so atmospheric. Oh, like the so whole good. thing leading up to that bar. It's so awesome. Like it sets the stage so well. And then you walk into the bar and it's all trashed and shit. And you're fighting this dude. And it's awesome. Oh, my God. So good. It would be cool to see like an, uh, I don't want to ever see a remake of that game ever. But it would be cool to see just art like modern art of what that scene looked like where Ryu or Ryu walks into the bar and like sees that guy and it's all trashed and, and like what that would look like like in. Like an actual and photorealism almost, right. you know, not eight bit. Right, it'll be so cool art. to see that. Oh, you know? I like that idea. That's cool. Like he walks through the door and he's got his, like he's got his hands on his sword or whatever, and everyone there's maybe dead bodies or something around and, and all that. And nice, thought. very pretty, nice, very, very nice. atmospheric. I forgot to mention those games as some of our favorites on the NES. Of oh, for course. sure, of course. Yeah, we 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 keep repeating the same games over and over again because I really think that there's just a top echelon of NES games, and then there's everything else. Tecmo. Yeah. I think in Pat's book in the in the, a certain NES guidebook, I think they're rated because of the rankings of their games. You know, all of Tecmo's games on the NES, I think they're the top rated developer. Interesting. Because of, yeah, which is interesting, right? Because you think of Nintendo, you think of Capcom, mm-hmm. Konami, Sunsoft, who are, you know, whoever. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, they're number one. Very I interesting. Think, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. Well, Dig, before we go, we're going to get to the lightning round. But before we go, I do want to acknowledge because we got a lot of letters uh, on Patreon. And as I said a few episodes ago, and I'll keep repeating, we are getting, you know, knockbacks getting really popular, which we're really excited about. And back in wave one, wave two, wave three, we were able to read and get to everyone's questions, comments, concerns, thoughts and ideas. It's just not possible this time around. But I do want to acknowledge Lawrence Adams, Michael Lepper, Dustin Henry, James Kinslow, the third Frog Lantern, Britton Dowers, Matt Kurilowski, Matthew Clarkson, Justin Metkowski. Straw Hat Ninja, Patrick Malloy, Jason Bola, 
Kyle Principato. You guys all submitted really thoughtful questions and inquiries Thanks, guys. and memories. And I'm sorry we couldn't get to them, but I wanted to acknowledge that you did that. And I appreciate your support. And remember, you can support us on Patreon if you want so that you can get early access and you too can submit questions, comments, concerns, thoughts and ideas to our show. So, Dagan, it's time to do the lightning round. Are you ready for the lightning round? This round, this batch of shows, I should say, the lightning round of doom with doom timer. The days, these are the days of our lives. These are the days of our lives. Okay, Mario lightning round of doom. Are you ready, Carl? Yes. This is actually a very easy one, so we should be able to, we're going to see, really, we're really not going to cheat. We're really going to see if we could beat the clock on this one. Okay. Okay, here we go. Make sure I enunciate, enunciate clearly here. Here we go. Mario or Luigi? Mario. Daisy or Peach? Peach. Koopa or Goomba? Koopa. Goomba or Paisan? Paisan. Oh! Oh! Super Mario 1 or Super Mario 2? 2. Mushroom or Fire Flower? Fire Flower. Straight Through or Warp? Straight Through. Wart or Bowser? Wart. Toad or Yoshi? Toad. Piranha Plant or Hammer Brother? Hammer Brother. Look at that. Look at that. We got time to spare. Look, it's still, still going. going. I'm going to let you guys know when it ends. This is how much time we have left over. Like sands through the hourglass. No, so are the days of our lives. Still going. I get, I'm so claustrophobic that I get I get upset that the sand is trapped in there. Is that weird? Yeah, that's a little weird. <laughs> I mean, that's the entire idea. I, I have to look into it more like who, it's not even who invented the hourglass, but like how do they figure out how much sand to put in it and the circumference of the hole and how much it's a pretty interesting device you know circumference of the hole yeah that's actually really thoughtful i don't know i don't think like that i'm not as smart as you i don't think like that you're smart i'm thinking that you're not as smart as me no but you're smart (laughs) (laughs) at least you're honest i appreciate that dagan Thank you for your time. Thank you so much. Everyone out there, thank you for your time. Again, remember, support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash Stand. We could really use your support, and we thank you for that. If not, listen to us on free feeds and enjoy there. No guilt, but please do leave us nice reviews on iTunes and elsewhere. It really does help us find a new audience and helps us bubble to the top. And we really think we have something special going on with Knockback, and we hope you agree. So your support is appreciated, and it's fun to watch the show grow month over month and as we find new audiences. And by the way, I'm going to start running some of these, not this one, but some of the more PlayStation pertinent ones through the Sacred Symbols feed as well, so you guys can go check those out if you want to listen to them again, introduce them to friends, etc. We'll see you next time for more Knockback. Goodbye. Collins Last Stand Knockback is fan-supported over at patreon.com slash Stand. The following names are at the producer level or higher on Patreon, and I want to thank you from the very bottom of my heart for your incredible kindness and generosity. C.J. Anderson, Morgan Ashley, Ethan Barbie, Sean Battershaw, Martin Beck, Fred Bentz, Michael Betts, Eric Bishop, David Blodel, Mark Boggio, Barrett Boswell, Spencer Brand, Lennon Brixie, Matthew Brousseau, Josh Bushing, Austin Bullock, Dylan Burns, Chris Buston, Alex Cabrera, Brian Cacciatolo, Will Caldwell, Luis Cancato, Patrick Carper, William O'Carroll, Brian Chan, Travis Chandler, Sean Chandler, David Chestnut, Simon Conception Jr., Brad Cooley, Cutter Crow, Nick Cummings, Daniel Diamore, Daniel Delanikos, Mitchell Durkash, Martha Emery, Joe Finelli, Eric Finkenbeiner, Stefano Fantana, Fodios Frank. Connor Gagian, Alexander Gates, Michael Gates, Salem Ghanem El Ghanem, Toothless Gibbon, Daniel Glassford, Tyler Goodwin, Josh Gravelick, Miranda Grubba, Andres Guzman, Caleb Hager, Tyler Harris, Kyle Hagel, Asa Haas, Azan Isa El Ricey, Josh Yeager, Justin Yeager, Greg Juleps, Anton Kay, Jeremy Key, James Kinslow III, Ryan R. Kittredge, Christian Larson, Jackson Lastiqua, Donald Laws, Joe Lawson, Don Q. Lee, Ashlyn Lee, Patrick Leslie, Dustin Lewis, Keith Adrian Lewis, Chad Lewis, Mark Liberto, Aaron Litwiller, Lewin Ray Loper, Colin Love, Josh M., Ryan T. Mann, 
Randall, Peter Mark, Nicholas Mask, Joe McPartland, Wyatt McVeigh, Dennis Meinshin, Andrew Mendoza, Christopher Middling, Albert Miranda, Patrick Malloy, Betty Ann Moriarty, Abe Mukhtar, Brian Nietzsche, Josh Netzel, Adam Nix, George Anthony Nunez, Brian Ott, Israel Petrico, Jorge Palomino, Todd Paxton, Brendan Peavy, Marius S. Peterson, Enrique Perez, James Perone, Eric A. Peterson, Jason Pettit, Matthew Plaster, Lawrence F. Prokop, John Quinn, Michael Renner, Peter Reynolds, Jonathan Rice, Toby D. Riebenschneider, Austin Riley, Petro Rose, A.G. Rowe, John Schultz, Chris Schaefer, Michael Shanholz, Toby Schutman, Glendon Cole Simper, Joshua Smallwood, John Tabanillo, Ahmad Tamar, Joseph Thayer, Ben Thompson, Carl Tolman, Tam Tran, Adam Van Curen, Michael Vecchio, Oakley Waldron, Justin Wagaman, Mike Wayne, Tyler Woodall, Corey Wyatt, Tony Zuniga, Casual Misfits Gaming, Supershot ST, Wyatt Henry, Throw7, Infinite, Mad Mock Media, Mubarak, Sticks and Crits, Richter86, That Rescue Guy, Andrew, Ian, Dav9834, Titus Rex, Donk2015, Gavin, and Random Guy Radio.